Welcome back to the Ice Coffee Hour. I'm Bo Hightower, and this podcast has made $2.137 million. What a no, guess. No. $214,020. Not quite. It's ad no. revenue. Yeah. Ad revenue. Okay. Yeah. But anyway. Thanks so much for coming yeah. on, man. I've been really looking forward to this. So I've watched your content from like three years ago. I hate to say it, but I would just be like back cracking guy on YouTube and seeing the most incredible videos of just like contorting people and then their their whole body cracks in a way that I can't even explain it. It becomes addicting where you want to just keep watching like the ASMR for this. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, how, how can I do that? <laughs> how did you get started doing this? And YouTube, not only yeah. that, but like your content has gone crazy viral over these last like three years, has yeah. it been? Yeah, roughly. Well, let's see. I, I was born in a cold hospital in 1983. Mm. <laughs> no, long story short, I I, uh, I was an athlete all the way growing up, you know, early, mid-90s. Um, big football fan, the the 49ers in particular, and the Cowboys also. They had a team, Cairo, and it would show up on, like, the, the Fox, you know, news spots about them, like Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. So my dad started taking me to go to one in high school mm. when I was playing football, and it made a really big difference for me. Um, so after college, you know, I was a biology major to start with, and I was trying to figure out, do I want to continue into biology? Do I want to work for, like, U.S. Fish and Wildlife? Because um, I really enjoyed getting out in nature and doing, like, you know, groundwater chemistry and, and you know, turbidity readings and things That's like cool. that. That's yeah. not really great for your bottom line. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? My dad is a home builder, so not, not really interested in that at all. And then his dad sold carpet. So we just have like a lot of different mm-hmm. business interests in the family. And so I think there was a like a flyer in the um, the profession's office where it was like, you know, apply to pharmacy school, Cairo school, PT school. So I started shadowing different people. And the PTs that I shadowed were, um, they were kind of older folks that so just didn't feel like my niche. And then I went mm-hmm. back to my Cairo from my youth and he had a bunch of high school athletes on. He was playing golf. And I was like, you know, that looks like a pretty a pretty good career path for me. So went to Cairo school, um, had practices in Dallas, San Antonio, Cincinnati, and then I finally resettled in Albuquerque about 10 years ago. And um, so I've been working with MMA fighters in an MMA gym for about a little over a decade now. And uh, basically what had happened was I got banned from Instagram in 2018 um, for reposting UFC videos. They were really trying to clean up all their content at the time. So they were IP copyright striking mm. everybody in the world. And I got like six in a row on Instagram. So they completely deleted my accounts. Okay. And that's where I'd grown like a following first, mm-hmm. like fighters promoting me and things like that. So I had, you know, at the time, maybe 250,000 on IG. That's pretty good. So didn't have any on YouTube. Um, and so you know, I'm used to uploading stuff. And so I started throwing some of my videos up on YouTube. And next thing I knew, it had like 1.8 million, 2 million views. And um, I just got lucky. I was on the front edge of the Cairo tube wave. You know, there was the... I've gr- never heard of that Cairo yeah, tube. tube. There's finance tube, right? There's yeah. gun tube. And there's Cairo tube. Is Cairo tube big? It, it's it's decreased now, but hmm. it's big, yeah. Hmm. There's several... several. There's one guy that's got over 2 million subs. Um, okay. But there's a lot that are over a million. Mm-hmm. So there's like four or five that were really big at the time that were posting. Um, and it was kind of like the pimple popping thing. People were yep. just like, whoa, what's that? Like those crunchy sounds. And it was just something yeah. that I really seen a lot before. I've seen that. What is it? The pimple doctor, the pimple yeah. popping doctor, whatever yeah. it is. She's cute. It, I, on Instagram, it keeps coming up recommended. And I don't want to watch it, but I have to I have to watch it all the way through. Yep. And she's rich. Yeah. Now. She has a TLC show. Really? And, oh, oh yeah. So it was kind of the same thing. So I was lucky to be one of those first four or five 
um, people it was really popping off. And then algorithmically, I had fighters, so there's UFC fans that are watching it too. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of popped off, and then never since then we're like, all right, let's keep this content going, and how do we keep it fresh and interesting? So I, what do you yeah. think makes people enjoy watching content of you cracking people's body and contorting it so much? What what's so special about it? I mean, I think what we just talked about um, in the ASMR era. Turns out subconsciously there's a lot of things that psychologically we like, some things we don't like. So if you ever see, have you ever seen the mildly infuriating or um, mildly infuriating Reddit? Yeah, yeah. Subforms? Well, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's where like they cut the pizza in the wrong slices yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they mark outside the lines mm-hmm. and they go to break glass but don't actually show the the break. Yeah. So there's something in us where, and, and somebody has done this too, where they start to do the adjustments and they don't do the crack and it's oh, like wow. infuriating. So yeah. there's something something subconsciously about a sound being released and completion maybe of a task <laughs> that we like. And um, I think, like you said, along the lines of pimple popping, it's satisfying to see like a blackhead come out. Um, there's something primal, and nobody really knows, but subconsciously about us watching somebody's body do that and make those kinds of sounds. I'm curious, is it ever dangerous? Because half the times I see like uh, you did the grandma, the Insta- uh, what is it, the TikTok grandma. Yeah. And I think she's in her 80s or 90s, and you're sitting there, like, holding her head, like, Mm -hmm. like, jolting her head. Like, I'm ever worried, is there ever a risk that, like, you snap the wrong way and it just goes horribly wrong? Yeah, there's always a risk to anything, right? There's a risk to driving in the car, drinking coffee. But statistically, we know the relative risk. So as long as you're doing a good screening of the patient's medical history, I mean, you're talking one per 10, 20 million or something like that, which okay. is about the same as sneezing or coughing or, you know, go to jiu-jitsu or boxing yeah. or anything like that. So, you know, like boxing, you saw the Puerto Rican fighter that, yeah. you know, a few years ago, one hit and has brain damage yeah. or whatever. Everything carries a risk. Your medications, your ibuprofen, you know, literally everything. But it's about making sure you're getting the the right history and the right person and being able to mitigate those as much as possible. Got it. So what exactly are you doing when you take someone's neck and you jolt it to the one side and you hear a crack? Mm-hmm. What's going on beneath that? So what you're looking at, if you looked at a spine, you've got vertebra and then you've got discs. So yeah. they kind of space in between and there's a bunch of ligaments and muscles on the side. Well, on the corners, there's these joints called, called zygopapaphyseal joints or facet joints. So those joints allow gliding of the spine in different directions. You know, the middle part allows resistance, resistance mostly to compression. So what can happen is those joints on the side get stuck. They, they basically overlay each other like that. When they get stuck, you won't be able to move very well. You'll get pain in those areas, particularly over the joint line. So when you get a crack, and you don't have to get the crack for the movement, that just is an indicator that you've reached full range of motion, mm-hmm. is basically that joint stretches far enough to where the gas that's within it dissolves, and it basically pops the bubble that's in there. And then that basically is the sound that you're making. So essentially by getting the joint to end range, you allow that patient to move through their full range of motion. So that's super helpful in an acute patient. Like say your rib is stuck or you have an SI joint that's stuck. Um, But by and large, that's only one aspect of treatment. So now you've got full range, but how do you keep it there? Right. If they've been stuck for a while, then they need to make sure they're doing stretches, rehab exercises. So they maintain that range of motion so they don't get locked up again. Yeah. So one morning I woke up a few months ago. I had the worst stiff neck I've ever had in my entire life. And I literally could not move my head for an entire day. And I went on YouTube and I saw that it was more so like muscle stretching. How much of this movement is muscle versus just the, the spine itself? Yeah, and I don't think you can ever really separate them from each other. Um, so that's what we call torticollis or wry neck. Um, this is something that spinal manipulation is really good at. There's a lot of things that could cause a spasm. Ligament strain, facet joints strain, sprain, disc bulges could do it. 
But typically, if you haven't had a trauma, then you know it's probably not like an acute disc herniation mm-hmm. or bulge, like something's landed on your head. or Yeah. So usually when that happens, either you've got a joint that's stuck or you've managed to strain one of the ligaments. Then what happens, your body tries to protect itself, so it spasms all the muscles. So when we so so really what I do is something called nephropathy. So nephropathy is treating ligaments and muscles, but also within that I also went to chiro school as well. So I have two doctorates. So combining those two things, I found gets the best results. We loosen up all the muscles, we get in there, we break up the tissue, and then we make sure the joint has full range of motion. Then they get their exercises. And then what's going on when you take the big pin and you take the hammer and you're just like knocking it? That that seems painful. Yeah, it's so so you'll see in a in a few minutes. What seems painful is actually not, and then the opposite is also true. Really? So when you see me just like kind of haphazardly touching a trigger point, yeah. that's actually significantly more painful. Really? What we're doing there is we're either tricking the muscle into the spindle link. So, so like if I'm having them turn their head and I'm tapping on the muscle, similar to a vibration plate, we're tricking the muscle and are not knowing how long it's supposed to be. So it allows you to pass through that in range of motion of what the muscle spindle and the, the, the mechanoreceptors think it is. Sometimes, like with a pelvis, say I have like a posterior tilt, like your yeah. hip bone tilts this way, which is a pretty common thing in PT and Cairo. What we're doing is we're moving the top end forward and the bottom end up. So we're aligning you that way. Yeah. And then, of course, we go in and loosen the hamstring so that it doesn't pull it back down. So sometimes we're using it to move a bone in a specific direction. Sometimes we're using it to loosen muscles. That's incredible. I've never been to a chiropractor. Never? Ever. Oh, man. No. I've seen all the videos, but I've never been myself. Okay. I'm curious, how much did it cost to, to get yourself through school? Well, I have six college degrees and a postdoc certificate. So probably cumulative somewhere in the three hundred to 400000 range. Do you still wow, carry debt yeah. from that? No. Oh, that's nice. it. That seems like a lot. Um, is the ROI better to go into chiropractics? Because I would imagine for four hundred thousand dollars, you could become, you know, get into plastic surgery, neurosurgery. Like, there's, there's so many different ways you could go with that. That, like, right off the bat, you would get a salary of like four hundred grand. Well, it's super relative. So, yeah. like, Cairo is more like PT or optometry or podiatry more of the allied fields as opposed to medical degrees, mm. right? So there's no there's no specialty as far as your licensing goes in any of those allied fields, pharmacy as well. You can do more things, like you could be a clinical pharmacist or whatever, but basically pharmacy is one degree. Cairo's similar. So like I have 350 hours of postdoc neuro education, but that doesn't change my scope of practice really. So essentially you do four years of undergrad, four years of chiro school, eight years, and then you'd be a chiropractor. Same with neuropathy. Mm. So with med school, you're going to do four years, four years of med school, and then you have to do residency. So that's what people, when they're, they're looking at all these things, they have to decide. Because if you're doing plastic surgery, you're looking at a minimum of five years of residency plus fellowship after that. Yeah. And you're going to be making 60, 70 grand a year during mm-hmm. that time. And your debt is accumulating and you're drawing interest on that. Yes, their salary will be significantly higher later on, but they're also much further out as far as opportunity cost. Whereas Kairos, as soon as they graduate, they can practice right away. I think the data, if I looked at the statistics correctly, Cairo is the worst debt-to-income ratio of any um, any degree that you can wow. get. How much do chiropractors usually make? I think the median salary is about 70000 75000 Really? What's, is that like entry level? I think that's cumulative. I think that's everybody. Wow. Probably a quarter of my class, I think, doesn't practice anymore. So they're either in farm rep or oil or... Oh, do a lot of people, they go into it and then go into... Yeah, so it's a big, broad, like, umbrella. So, you know, a lot of people that... You know, in, in certain faiths, so like we have a lot of Mormons that were in our Cairo mm-hmm. school because, you know, they're just not into pharmaceuticals or, or, or chemicals. So they find their way into a natural or holistic field. Um, so a lot of people get in this one to do nutrition or supplements or things like that. Mm-hmm. But of course, insurance isn't really covering that. And you're not going to get hired at a hospital on a salary. So you've 
got to go out there and create a business. So Cairo and dentistry are similar in that sense where there's not a whole lot of jobs out there. So you have to be a business owner essentially or start a business Got it. Um, where PT, you could, you know, you could get an in-home or an at-home job or salary. Right. It may not be high, but there's always a job for Cairo. There's not a lot of jobs like in New Mexico. I think there's one at the VA hospital, one at Kirtland Air Force Base, one at UNM. And those are the only three jobs in our entire city wow. that are like a salaried getting insurance 401k jobs. Everybody else is either working for another Cairo or they've tried to open their own spot. How did you open up your first place? Is that what you did right after college? So I worked for a corporation in Texas first for a couple okay. of years. And so uh, what I wanted to do was learn the ins and outs of treatment. And I actually worked in middle management, too, to kind of figure out how the brokers worked on negotiations and things like that. Um, but not on my dollar. Um, I didn't want to learn on the job on my dollar. Mm -hmm. So I kind of set up a lot of practices for them. I worked in several family practices. So I worked, you know, underneath medical doctors in a lot of offices, learned how to get referrals from them, learned how to communicate with them. And then after a couple years of that, that's when I opened my spot. So my first, my first job. And, and so let me rewind that. So obviously yeah. flat broke coming out. My parents had saved a decent amount of money for me, you know, 50, 60,000 for college. I had a scholarship all the way through undergrad, so I didn't know anything from there. And then they helped apply that towards my grad school. So I didn't mm -hmm. know much, like maybe 40 grand, I think. Yeah. This is 12 years ago. It's much higher now, obviously, with um, inflation. That's the, thanks, Jerome. That's the magic word. Yeah. Everybody's favorite, Jerome Powell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I only owed 30 or 40, I think, coming out. So I paid that off in the first two years. I just kept living like a student the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, so I had about 30 or 40,000 saved when I went to start, but I didn't work for maybe five months. So when you don't have any income coming in and you're living on that, it goes really quickly. So yep. my first office that I owned, um, I had a friend that owned a building and I negotiated. He, he didn't make me pay the first and last. I was paying 500 a month for a one room suite in the in the hood in Albuquerque. Mm. And then uh, I built everything else myself. I got a, a table from a guy uh, on eBay. Um, my office equipment was a family friend that had had a stroke. And so I bought his you know office furniture mm. for really cheap, obviously painted the office myself and I didn't, I couldn't afford staff. So I had to build a website. So I was doing online scheduling 10 years ago, uh, built the website on Wix. Huh, that's cool. Didn't have a phone line. Yeah. Uh, cause then you have to pay somebody to answer the phones. Yeah. Um, worked on wristbands, you know, way back in the day to where we just linked to the website. So if I was at the gym and somebody was like, Hey, you know, I'd be like, boom, here you go. And they could go schedule. So it just really ran super, super lean for, I mean, I still do, but for the very yeah. beginning of it. So I could accumulate my own bank account to where I could buy equipment as we needed. Yeah. So how much were you making back then in those lean days? I think my net probably in my first year was 25 or 30 K. Okay. Um, you know, going up about 30 K per year until I started hiring other therapists and then getting, you know, a percentage of their revenue. So now we have 13 therapists. Um, so essentially their, my, their fractional income kind of replaces the volume of patients I used to see, cause mm -hmm. I don't see new patients and I haven't for right. three years or so. Um, so now we've got five clinics. We have one in Vegas, one in Boca Raton, three in Albuquerque. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been nice. Social media really propelled us yeah. more than anything, um, to where we're not spending money on billboards or, you know, radio ads or anything like that, you know? Yes. And, and even when we started, when I would sponsor fighters who are notoriously broke, you know, we'd say, okay, what is your sponsorship worth? Is it worth eight treatments? Is it worth 10 treatments? We'll put us on your shorts, you know, get us on UFC countdown or, you know, those things. And we'll, we'll call it a trade and, um, say they have 300,000 on, you know, Instagram or something mm -hmm. like, what would you pay to reach $300,000? Probably more than $200. You know? Oh yeah. So, you know, and you're getting who says so other than you, somebody who's beating up their body more than anybody else. Right. 
So it was a perfect mix for us, um, you know, working with MMA fighters because nobody beats their bodies up more than they do. Mm-hmm. Is that how much it costs? Is about $200 a treatment? Um, in, in Nevada, our price point's a little higher than New Mexico. So to see one of my neighbor paths here, it's 150 for a new patient. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a hundred for follow-ups when each, each session is about an hour or so. Mm. And they average about four total sessions till they can resolve, you know, most treatments. Mm. Is this something you recommend like a healthy person get done on a regular basis? Like if they don't get beat up? So or, I'll tell you yeah. that we don't treat anybody who's not in pain. Okay. So uh, we're not the type that promotes it as like a wellness plan. Sure. To me, when I look at somebody, if they don't have anything wrong with them, no pain, which which is rare, like who yeah. doesn't have some neck pain or whatever, right? Um, there's only one way you can go, and that's you can't get better than no pain, you know. So we, I've had people try to come, and I said, no, no, we're not going to treat you. Mm. Um, I generally also don't treat people over 65. I don't treat people under 16 or so. Yeah, um, you know, because there are people in those fields that that specialize in geriatrics or pediatrics, and that's not me. So you have to kind of know what you're good at, what you're not. You know, we treat musculoskeletal pain at our office, and that's it. We don't do nutrition. We don't sell, you know, supplements. We don't sell pillows. Um, we try to hedgehog principle it, and we try to be really good at one thing, and then we can refer everybody else out. Yeah. Now, have you noticed, uh, like, a commonality between people who use certain type of pillows or certain type of mattresses that they have more pain than others? Not really. Really? Yeah. Everybody always asks me that, and I'm like, I, I don't know. Yeah, what's your pillow recommendation? Yeah, I don't, I don't have one. Like a Casper yeah, I mattress. I don't, I don't have like, a sponsor right now either, yeah. you know. So, uh, you know, generally speaking, most people do better with less pillow and sleeping on their back as far as, like, neck and shoulder pain. Mm. Um, I th- I've been thinking Jack is crazy for they doing that. They call me a psychopath. Yeah. Okay. I sleep without a pillow. I yeah. said, I, so okay, I jokingly said that once, and now I always call Jack a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> I sleep without a pillow. It's fantastic. Yeah. So it's it. weird. Do you not, like... Sleep on the side of your head. You just sleep like this, like a zombie. Or no. Well, so sleep? recently I've been switching to hands up, and then what? No. Are you serious? Now you're actually a psychopath. Look at him. He's nodding. See, wherever yeah. people can sleep well, you know, I'm a fan of that. Yeah. So. It's strange. <laughs> Why is that strange? I put a pillow on top. If they're of my not head. waking up in pain that... and they're not getting like blood flow restrictions, and that's imagine, imagine a girl <laughs> so, comes so not, over. That's and what I'm thinking. So you're, not, so you're not getting lighting. Yeah. So that's, looks that's a plus. And then you're getting a little compressive, soft force here. Which the is, compression is on uh, my forehead. Comforting, feels really nice. Right? Yeah, I love it. So our bodies yeah. crave compression to a certain extent. That's why everybody likes to use those compression boots and, and yeah. things like that. You know, the the intracellular pressure of your body is always yeah. kind of pushing outward and the air is matching it, right? Like, yeah. And this um, opens you up too. Like if you're like this, your arms are too close yeah. to your legs at your side. Yeah. So you know what I got? Uh, like this right here. Macy got me a weighted blanket. Weighted blankets are great. I right? like, yeah. love it. Yeah. yeah I've so, never been a fan, so but even in the heat. That, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even in the heat, though, I turn on the air conditioning and right. just so I could put the weighted blanket. It's it's That's nice. That's magic, man. You want so to weird. Cold in the room to where you're snuggling with the yeah, stuff. Right. Yeah. But even if somebody just kind of holds your arm or compresses your forearm, even just a little bit of pressure, it feels good to us. And you know, we're social beings. We're we're you know hominids. So we respond to social cues, to facial expressions. We we respond specifically to touch. Mm-hmm. So just having somebody touch you, studies have shown decreases your serum cortisol. Mm. So just somebody just holding your hand or touching your forearm or things like that. So we respond to pressure, um, more so for, from other humans, but also from you know inanimate objects. So I'm a back sleeper. I get one of those like body pillows that has a, like, little beads in them, and I hollow yeah. it out to where there's not much there. Because if I sleep on, you know, we're at the, the encore and I laid on my back on the pillow and I wake up and my neck hurts because it's pushing my spine forward. Right. So I would tell you what you want is your spine to be lined up. You don't want your head forward or to the side of anywhere in your spine. So if you are a side sleeper, you want enough support to where you're not here or here. You know, and if you're a back sleeper, you don't want your head pushed forward. Got it. Um, our spine's pretty good here. If you've ever looked out the window for a long period of time, 
you know, you're looking at the Grand Canyon or something and you come back, you're like, oh, right. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty easy to strain your neck. Mm -hmm. um, so we're more fragile than we Got probably it. should be. But. but what about those things <laughs> that you strap yourself into? I saw the commercials in the 90s where they would invert you. The teeters. The teeter totter. Yeah. What was it? The something the, teeter. The old man that straps him in. Yeah. And he goes upside down. Teeter hang ups. Teeter Is hang -ups, that it? Yeah. 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 The teeter hang ups. So again, same thing. It depends. Uh, you know, like we tell people if you do well with it, keep doing it. If not, then don't. You know, I'm not somebody who does well with it, but I have a disease called Hill Sherman's, so I have no curve in my T-spine. So I have a lot of compression fractures and disc herniations at my thoracolumbar junction. Mm. The way that the pressure feels there actually causes me more pain. So when I've thrown my back out in the past or whatever, I'm like, all right, let me jump in there and see. And most of the time for me, it makes me worse. So you just have to listen to your body. You know, it's like being in the gym. Okay, you throw your back out doing deadlifts multiple times in a row. Maybe that just isn't an exercise for you. Maybe just do something else, modify it. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. a question a lot of people are wondering is, is it bad to crack yourself? Because I've cracked myself since I was like seven years old. I started at my fingers. I then changed to my wrists. <laughs> and now I do my neck and my back, you know. So I do everything now. My ankles, my knees. Yeah, me you too. name it. What I would generally say is there is such thing as over-manipulation syndrome. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people that they, they crack themselves too hard or too often or they go to the chiropractor too often – what happens is, so when you're getting the end range of motion, right, there's ligaments that hold it together. If you continue to push past your end range of motion, what will happen is ligaments will start to stretch out eventually, and they won't be super stable. Mm. So that causes instability, which you don't want. You don't want hypermobility, but you don't want hypomobility either. So you want to make sure that you have full range, but you don't really want to be you know, going beyond full range. That's not exactly healthy. So when your ligaments aren't, aren't stable, that's what happens. So as long as you're not forcing the cracking motion, like a lot, I typically get manipulated or adjusted once every six or eight weeks or so. That's what I found is a good amount for me. Mm -hmm. When I was in Cairo school or things like that, if I had it any more frequently than that, I would actually feel like I needed it more and I would actually have more pain as opposed to working on strengthening and stretching. Got it. But first, we got to thank our sponsor, Aura Frames. Graham, I have a problem. I got my dad a Tinder Platinum subscription for his birthday and he hated it. And so did my mom. And also we got Father's Day coming up and I don't want to make the same mistake again. Jack, you just get him an Aura digital frame. Aura digital frames allow you to instantly frame photos from any device, anywhere, directly through the Aura app. You could even preload photos and add a personalized video message that will display as soon as you connect your frame. So I got an Aura digital frame recently and it has worked wonders when it comes to my success on Tinder with these dates. Aura was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter and The Strategist and it's guaranteed to make your dad smile. Aura frames have super high resolution displays so unless you look really close or see photos transition, you wouldn't even know it's a screen. Last year, Aura completely sold out for Father's Day, so don't wait. Seriously, guys, this is actually really awesome for me because just before they sponsored us, I was actually looking at Aura Frames exactly because they are the best in the field. You can get unlimited cloud storage with super high-resolution screens. It's a perfect gift to your parents, and it's guaranteed to make them smile. That means your parents are finally going to love you again. Listeners can use code ICH to get $20 off while supplies last. Terms and conditions apply. And from now until Father's Day, you can save on the perfect gift when you visit AuraFrames.com. That's AuraFrames, A-U-R-A-F-R-A-M-E-S dot C-O-M. So thank you so much, AuraFrames, and, and back, back to, to the, the podcast. podcast. So what do you recommend people do who can't afford a chiropractor? Well, I think, you know, the great thing about the internet, YouTube, there's tons of, like, mobility videos out there for free, tons of stretching videos, yoga, foam rolling. That stuff clears most issues, particularly chronic issues. If you're doing strengthening and stretching and, and rolling, you know, I, I get flack from this from the chiro community. I don't think people need to be adjusted that often or it's that important for most people. 
Um, they might disagree with that. Maybe that's because of their business model. I'm not here to say yeah. either way. Um, I know for me personally, I don't need it that frequently. Um, and I'll say this, I say, like I said, most people, if they do core strengthening, if they're, they're working, if they have somebody to even assess them, but you can sort of assess yourself. If you're stretching, doing yoga, rolling, getting strength and activity, walking, you're probably going to be okay. The, the spot where the, the chiros come in super, super helpful, like I said, is if you get a rib stuck or if you jam your SI joint, we have that really sharp pain here and you're leaning away from it. Mm. And, and PTs can do manipulation too. Or, you know, in the springtime, like I said, you get a rib stuck and you take a breath and it feels like somebody's stabbing you. There's not much that's more effective than manipulation in those certain circumstances. Um, it can help, of course, if you have that acute neck pain. Um, but yeah, just it depends on the person. Like I said, every, it's finding the right fit for everybody. Um, like I don't do great with massage. Um, some people do, don't do great mm. with manipulation. So you, you won't really know until you try, you know, no matter what the therapy is, but it's important to listen to your body and say, yeah, I do feel better. or I don't feel better and sort of tailor your life just like you would with anything else, you know? Yeah. Has anyone ever came to you with a problem that cannot be solved by cracking them? Yeah. For, like, what if they came with like a broken bone and they missed <laughs> it? Like, you know, something that used to be cracking. Just like the bone was like right sticking out, <laughs> sticking yeah. out of the leg yeah. or whatever. Well, so, yeah. like I said, luckily we have you know four years of doctoral education, uh, passed five or four national board exams and state licensing exams. We're, we're trained to diagnose yeah, okay, and do exactly. dot exams. So, um, you know, if, if you're missing stuff like that, that's sort of on the provider. So say I see 12 people a day, at least one or two of them I'm referring out almost every single day. Really? Um, they come in with an issue. I'm like, I think you need back surgery. I think you need this or that. So we refer to a neurologist or, you know, or we'll send back to their PCP for a bursitis injection where they need cortisone. So really, you know, we work almost like a, a portal of entry for musculoskeletal. A lot of people I'm like, yo, you need more strengthening for this. And a facility that has better equipment than us, we'll send you over to PT. The Cairo thing is actually not all that representative of how our practice typically looks, the cracking stuff. It's a very small part. In fact... I probably only crack maybe half of my patients um, at all, uh, but it definitely films well. Yeah. So, you know, so, so yeah. what we post, we, we, we don't record the boring sessions with no cracking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think the, the format of the cracking is so unique. It reminds me kind of like of Jeff's barbershop. Like I yeah. love the scenarios where it's like you're doing something else while talking to the person as like a, a late night talk show, except there's hot something ones. else. Yeah, like hot ones. Yeah. I really love that format. Yeah, it, and that's sort of what we realized. You know, eventually there's only so many ways you can crack a body, right? So our audience, the audience capture or whatever, they're going to get bored eventually. So we were like, well, we have really interesting um, clientele and people mm -hmm. have interesting stories to tell. So since I do so much muscle work and so I, I do so much. So when I say massage, what I mean is like I don't do well with the flu-flu stuff. I do really great with deep tissue massage. Mm -hmm. Uh, time is painful stuff, like stuff. Yeah, my muscles yeah. are generally tighter than they are loose and everybody's wired differently, right? Yeah. So it's very rare. I need to do more strengthening. I need to stretch more. I need to roll more. I need to get more body work. So for me, I do much better with that. And it's, it takes time. It takes 20, 30, 45 minutes. So during that time, it's either there's music playing or I'm like talking in their ear, but they can't really respond. Mm -hmm. But what we found is similar to, you know, those other things. We get a really honest interview or response out of people because they are feeling, uh, they're, they don't have the programming on. I don't yeah. want to say vulnerable, but they don't have their, I'm on TV, I'm on a network, here's my computer right. program response. And I think people like that ingenuity out of them, and uh, it feels genuine, and it feels like um, a format that they're not used to. And so that's been something that's helped to keep our channel, you know, yeah, relevant. How do you get so many celebrities on? It seems like in one episode, you'll have like five huge people on there. Yeah. And like, they're not even their own episode. I'm like, <laughs> you, you package them together with everyone else. Yeah, so I mean... 
really it started being an MMA gym. So, you know, Jackson's in particular and Albuquerque and, you know, our partners here at Extreme, Extreme Couture, there's going to be at these mega gyms, 15, 20 pretty famous UFC fighters. So that's where we start. And most other athletes enjoy fighting. There's something primal. Dana White talks about mm -hmm. this. People like conflict. They like to watch fighting. They like to watch wrestling. Um, so most other athletes are fans of fighters. And so they see the treatments and they're like, hey, man, I want that. I need that. Um, so mostly they'll reach out to me. Um, mm -hmm. Probably 80% of them reach out to me. Or when we're doing a plug or an episode, it's somebody that's friends with somebody else, and they're like, hey, they'd be a great guest for you. Mm -hmm. um, so that's generally how we've kind of set those up. It's, it's changed a lot more in the last year or so as our channel's gotten bigger and people want to come on, you know, uh, you know, mutually beneficial collabs. They might have a book to sell, you know, stuff like that. It's Now they're coming to me n not necessarily because they need the treatment as much, but because they like the platform as yeah. well. So, so that's fine too, you know. Who is the most unique person that you've cracked? Like like a really neat story or someone that really stood out. Unique? Yeah. Like like a change in them or just a unique individual? It's just a unique individual. On. Both. Yeah. So like Brian Shaw is like he's a world's strongest man competitor. He's like six foot nine, four or three pounds. I didn't some of them, right? Like I tried. I couldn't even get my arms around his head. No. <laughs> his first guy that's ever been so big that I couldn't even get my arms in and around. So we had to kind of modify that one. <laughs> so from that aspect, you know, somebody that tall or whatever, physics matters, you know. And it, and it gives me empathy for like my smaller providers yeah. that that's how my body feels to them. Sure. You know, I'm like, oh man, that's, that's rough. Um, you know, we've had, some, like I said, we had some characters. We had the wide net guy. Um, oh, you had no him? way. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he was, he's a interesting guy. Um, you know, we're like, well, I do neck stuff and yeah. he's got the most famous neck. Um, that that is a match made. Did you do long neck? Yeah, we like, did a, you did him too? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's not been published yet though. Oh, it's in wow. the, it's in the archives ready to roll. Um, cause usually, yeah. you know, for us, we content farm. So we'll go to LA or wherever, um, for a yeah. few weeks and then we'll rack up 10, 20 videos. Um, and then I go back to my life and we'll just kind of leak them in, you know, one at wow. a time. I have a really juicy question for you. Uh, I uh, admittedly it, watching chiropractic videos are one of my, uh, guilty pleasures. And, I notice a lot of thumbnails, um, let's just say, get the attention of a lot of males. Uh, now, is that on, on purpose or, you know, it, does it get better views? I mean, you know, just... Yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> those are the videos there, that uh, <laughs> you're getting recommended on. So the algorithm works by recommending you content, Alex, that you... Uh, watch and, they, and it, that you yeah. clicked on so it sends you more of that alex so yeah i mean your you algorithm know me, man. i just i just look at something and if i like it yeah, I'll yeah. Click it, you know? well i'll say this like uh you know my wife she was... <laughs> comment man of culture i see <laughs> is that a comment that shows up yeah. sometimes yeah so my wife was doing like fitness model stuff like seven or eight years ago when we, when we first started dating so you know all of her sponsored like co-workers or whatever always wanted to get adjusted as well so we're like let's film it and then obviously those videos get a lot of traction um i mean you start overlapping i mean my demos is probably 95 percent young males i mean youtube is overwhelmingly young and male anyway right mm -hmm. yeah. um so what are they into well, they're like giant men they like men that look like cartoons and they like women that sort of look like cartoons as well so just like instagram anywhere else who's who's popular it's a six foot nine 420 pound man it's a girl with you know stuff in her lips mm -hmm. or, you know, pink hair or whatever. Mm -hmm. So stuff that's visually striking. I don't think our thumbnails look different from male to female. I think you see the same face. I think uh, even all the other things. But 
because of the intrinsic bias of the person watching it, it feels different uh, with a female doing it or a male doing it. So All you're right. saying I'm biased. I think you might be looking for a certain type of content <laughs> because you know we'll have a we'll have a male model on that's got a six pack ripped abs and all that other kind of stuff. No shirt in the thumbnail. Yeah, there. Alex and skims the, over the algorithm, the algorithm like, does that too. Yeah. Like the the ones that have like the the fit females, they're mm. definitely less RPM CPM than like a bodybuilding female that's mm. wearing the same clothes huh. or uh, you know world's strongest man female or whatever. I think so a, yeah, a lot of that has to do with the audience who's clicking on that video, right? So, so maybe that audience is less valuable to advertisers so, than the so other I will, audience. I will say yeah. this. On the videos that he's talking about, yeah. like we do have an overwhelmingly amount of people coming from India, Pakistan, Indonesia. Mm. Um, so I don't, I don't know what that means. But, mm -hmm. you know, those, those videos and WWE videos also, tons from India. So obviously mm. the CPM RPM is going to be lower from Indian viewers than it is from you know, New Got Zealand, it. Norway, U.S. Um, so it just depends. You know, we, we, we pull from all of those different categories. Um, most of them just happen to be my wife's friends that want to come on the channel. So uh, that's probably we probably do one female for every five guests. But yeah, the comment that's like that's a comment we get a lot. I'm like, I, I think you're telling on yourself. You're not watching my. You got to watch my guy. You got to watch the other man. You know, Alex. you're right. I I tend the ones that get recommended to me are either those or like Mark Henry, like World yes. whatever. He he's a big yeah. guy, and yeah. I love watching those. So yeah. you know, I, I think you're right. It's yes. like opposite. So the so the so really big freakish looking guys tend to get the more clicks, yeah. you know, Mark Henry. And obviously the overlap of, uh, you know, even even if it's a fighter, a small fighter isn't going to get, like physically small fighter, isn't yeah. going to get nearly the views of a heavyweight. So if I have Ngannou on, it's 1.3 million views. If I have like, uh, you know, Cheeto Vera or somebody like that, then it's 400,000 views. And then I have Michelle Watterson on, it's 7 million views. That's so, interesting. How much strategy do you put into the YouTube channel or the content in general? Not, not a ton. Really? You know, mostly it's like people that we think are interesting as well that you know that we vibe with or whatever you know we're starting to learn a little over time there's certain videos that uh, the interview went so boring it's just not worth publishing mm -hmm. you know so we've had a couple of those but you know this is a new a new problem or a new issue that we've run into and like i said i still work a regular nine to five um you know between me treating patients and then running and doing payroll and inventory yeah. So I'm curious, is it worth it for you to do the nine to five at this point, given just how big the platforms are in your reach? Mm. Like, could you break down a little bit just like how your income is between different formats? Because I would assume at this point you wouldn't be doing any sort of nine to five work anymore. Yeah, I would say depending on if we have in-ad in -ad videos or sponsors, you know, we're probably bringing between great money. Yeah, great money, but not FU money. Okay. So probably between YouTube and Facebook, five six hundred k before taxes, right? And uh, probably another two or three hundred from my clinics before mm, taxes. Got it. Okay. Um, you know our gross is high, but I pay my employees a ton. Yeah. Like, so seventy percent of our income goes back to our team. Yep. You know, which I don't know any other business that really does that. But mm. to me, we're a we're a provider based clinic and a patient based clinic. So how do you keep good staff? Well, you got to pay them, right? Like you got to pay them well and take yeah. care of them. And so that's what we focus on from that. So it's like I almost feel like my clinic now just pays my taxes for my social media. Yep. Um, <laughs> but I'm also scared to death that somebody at YouTube or Facebook would just go bink. And turn you yeah, off. That's what I'm always worried about. You know, and you're yeah. like, well, I went all in on this game, and uh, you know, it's just one person yeah. found that they didn't like me, and uh, you know, and you just never know. I, I, I don't think it's likely for either of us. I don't think either of us are going to get Alex Jones or you know Stephen Crowder or any of these people yeah. to do controversial content because uh, I just don't touch that kind of content, right. obviously. But it, it makes you worried sometimes when you see that happen to certain people, or my niche just dries up completely. Right? Like it's just like okay, yeah. we've we've seen every crack video. 
And that's happened, you know, my friend Gregory Johnson, he was the first tuber that really broke big, probably, mm-hmm. you know, and he was super viral for a while. And, um, you know, his his content, he's just not getting the views that he used to get. He's getting five, six K views a video. But do you think he's not innovating like he used to? Or probably. I mean, he's 60, 62 oh, years okay. old and he, yeah. he hit a niche and he has a he's a really good provider and he's got a really a unique adjustment and nobody had seen that before. But we've seen it now. So yeah. what are you doing to modify and stay in it? And, you know. I'm at a nice intersection age-wise at 38 that, you know, I didn't grow up with the tech, but I'm young enough to have utilized that at a young age to where I could sort of adapt back and forth. And that's what, like, so what you're talking about is us bringing on interesting guests and, you know, whether it's Mark Henry or Goldberg or whatever. And they're also telling you a story as yeah. well, which other channels may or may not do. So that's where actually being a social media person as well is a different story than just being a, a clinician that's uh, content happened to go yeah it takes a lot of energy to continue to innovate too i mean especially if you have a format and you're in your 60s or you just don't have the energy to do it mm-hmm. so it, it's a lot yeah. i think a lot of people at that point just kind of accept it and we'll move on it's not worth it well, to him. you know for him he's like yeah. i got five years worth of revenue and, right you know, and, and a, a rabid uh patient population people fly from all over the world to go see him wow um, he has a deal with the hotel there, so he he puts them up and he sees them like three or four days in a row. So it's really been a boon to his actual brick and mortar business, and he makes mm. a ton of money. He charges you know probably three or four times what I do, um, but if people are willing to pay for it, then that's what yeah. it is, right? So uh, so he he does really really well from his actual clinic, and then he's he's training other providers now that are going to replace him as well. So but he he didn't put all his eggs in that basket. He never stopped treating you know even Smart. treating new patients. Yeah, where I I don't do that, you know. Um, you know, you, you may have experienced this where you get stalkers and no, we've been good. Right Our audience is, uh, no stalkers. We've, we've That's never been, so we've, no, 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 honestly, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm being serious. Okay. I've never, I've never had a single yeah. issue, but I think our audience is, is tends to be more finance oriented, uh, you know, into really bettering themselves. Uh, they tend to be a little bit older, um, and I think because of that, like the people we meet are always like, yo, man, check out my credit card or I just saved all this money. I just paid off this debt or I just bought a property. Those are the people I think are less likely to have the tendencies to become stalkers. Mm. I think I'll, I'll knock on wood, you know. Yeah. But, uh, and I guess that's a good point yeah. that I hadn't really thought of is that a lot of people that are watching my content or pain related content are in severe pain or, you know, are desperate or and whether it's physical or mental or whatever, um, are looking for something like that. And so mm-hmm. I had one that was like right down the street from me. He lived right there and he would leave notes all over the place and all over town and just, you know, really severely mentally ill. Mm-hmm. I had to get a restraining order and, you know, it gets weird. And then what I do, like you can look at my business address, like, you know, where I am, you know, five days a week. So mm-hmm. I'm a sitting duck, a sitting target. So we had people that would come up and they would just drive from North Dakota or wherever, and they would show up and they'd wait for me in the parking lot. Oh, wow. Or they would come up into my, they would open my door and sit down in my room, you know? So we had to take my name off the door and, you know, start locking doors and adding in security protocols and, you know, things like that, that stuff you never really expect when you're like, oh, I'll just start posting things online, you know? So things can get dangerous for people, um, especially when you're out in the public like that, you know? I will say, actually, it does remind me, I did three years ago have one person this is back when i was like actively doing real estate so if uh if you were looking for real estate it it was easy back then to just google my name and see my phone number it was there Mm. um so before i changed that number i got this one guy who kept calling and calling and he would leave the creepiest voicemails 
like creepy Wait, work. You told me about this guy. Yeah, I yeah. think I still have the voicemails. It could be, you know, one o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, you know, 10. It, it didn't matter, but he would call and leave sometimes like one to three minute long voicemails where sometimes the first like 30 seconds would just be breathing. And then he'd be like, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Just wait. Just wait. Eventually you'll see it. It's amazing. And but but like do do that the entire but he would mention my name like Graham. I'm gonna show you like like stuff like this. I'm like, what is he gonna show me? This is like, but it but it but it it, it really freaked me out. And it should. Um, let's see if I still have it. Oh wait, that's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear that one. Wait, I think this the is contact it. is crazy person. I think it's it. Hey Graham, I just wanted to ask you a question. This is thanks. Bye. So bleep the name on that, and then here's right afterwards. Hi, Graham. I was going to ask you a couple of questions, man. I'm indescribably grateful and thankful. I'm having trouble processing it all. Graham, it's so beautiful and precious. I I can't thank God enough for my friends. It's going to be a miracle when it happens. Wow. Thank you so much, God. Have a great day, Graham. I've deleted some of them, but what do you have now? 3.3 million subs or something like that? Yeah, no, this is back in the the beginning. But think about this. If if you're looking at the general public, and I don't don't, know know what the numbers are, but say, let's just make up a number right now. Say 4% of people have severe mental illness, right? right. The the end number, the numerical number of people that are watching your content that have imaginary relationships with you, that, that really know you, and you're their entertainment, you're not a person, right? Yeah. You probably get this at the airports and stuff like that, right? Where you're eating or you're trying to check in and then people run up and want to take a picture with you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and you, you have to be nice or whatever, but it's like, dude, you're making me late for my flight. Like, I'm, Oh, no, I've never, I've never had a bad, I've never had a bad I'm a, experience. I'm a person that, yeah. too, you know? Like, Yeah. No, the, word, the, the worst experience I've had was, uh, well, it wasn't even a worst experience. It was just, I remember a guy, I think, it, I think it was with you, Jack, actually. It was in Santa Monica. A guy came up, really nice, by the way. Like, but he just, he wanted to hang out afterwards. Sure. And uh, he wanted to exchange phone. It was just awkward for me because I was like, you could, you know, maybe an email is best or send me a DM. He's like, but what's your number? Like, yeah. I was like, I don't give out my number. Right. But, but, and it just kept like, uh, no, it's okay, but like, just give me the number. It's it just awkward for just me. not catching but, the social cues. Right, but really nice. Sure. So like, nothing, that was the worst I've, I've ever had, yeah. but and it's not that bad. Yeah, and I don't have but, too yeah. many actual bad ones in yeah. person. Like, people generally sort of know how to get along face-to-face. But, I mean, there's some that, that don't, obviously. And, you know, and I've seen it firsthand, too, because I, I travel with a lot of the fighters and I have for a long time. So, you know, there's there's levels of real fame. There's, like, YouTuber internet fame, which is, like, yeah, And then there's, like, you know, UFC fighter John Jones, Holly Holm mm-hmm. fame. And then there's, like, actor fame, right? Like, Ludacris or Queen Latifah or people like that, where they have to have hired security. They can't go anywhere. And it makes you really, like... It makes you feel for them in a way that they're they they have to be sort of lonely or on guard all the time. That there's really nowhere that they could go mm. and just go shopping without somebody getting a picture or screaming Luda or yeah. you know these people that I've that I've met that they just and if it's happened from a young age, what's their world experience? They're 22 and they become famous and you know it's our fault we put ourselves out there. I can't complain if something happens because nobody made me you know, have subscribers on the internet, but me, Yeah. but when it starts to like interfere, you know, and, and I guess some of these people are so rich that they can just fly private or they have security, but imagine being somewhere in between to where you're, you're really, really well known, but you're not wealthy enough to fly private or, you know, or whatever. And you just have to sit there and coach with everybody who wants to take your picture every single time. 
uh, and you don't have anything to yeah. gain from it. You're not selling. I products. would. I would almost think it's it's uh, a lot of the larger YouTubers would get more attention than a big actor. I, KSI was the one who was talking about this. It was so true. He went out to dinner and he was sitting uh, close in close proximity to Keanu Reeves, who's really famous. Right. Everyone was coming up to KSI. Hmm. Because he was more approachable, and people felt like they knew him as a as a person. Interesting. Uh, then Keanu Reeves, who's like oh, this big movie star. Let me not bother him, but KSI. Like I've been watching you for years. Uh, it's appropriate that I come up and say hi. Sure. Uh, even for me, I've, I've seen certain people out, or be like, oh wow, I, there's no way I'm going to bother them. But if I see a YouTuber, I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm I'm going to go right up and I'm just going to say hi. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's something different about it. Well, I'm wondering I felt, if for yeah. you, that's because you you view yourself as a peer in that sense. No. Like you're a YouTuber also. And, you know, you, you know what each other go through. There's some relation. Um, like maybe, may, maybe. Yeah, I think it depends be, on demos yeah, too. How sure. old are you? Uh, 32. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, if you're in an environment that skews younger, then, yeah, that's probably going to be the case. If you're in an upscale restaurant or something like that with older folks, you know, that's that's not going to be the case. Right. So. Sure. So it just depends on your demos. But, yeah, it's uh, things can get weird for people. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll tell Holly Holm, you know, the UFC fighter. Yeah. She stands out. Big, strong, tall, long blonde hair. You know, she's kind of the pride and joy of Albuquerque, but she would like pull up somewhere in her car and some guy would come run up and masturbate in front of her. Or, you know, people would slide pictures under the uh, the stalls in the bathroom to have her try to sign them or interrupt her dinner. And, you know, uh, mm. eventually that's going to wear on somebody like yeah. that, you know? So it's, uh, there's, there's levels to it. Depends where you are, where you're not. And then for me, like in Albuquerque, it's like, okay, if I'm at the store, and somebody's like, hey, Bo, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then I have to roll through my Rolodex. I'm like, is it one of my 20,000 patients that I'm supposed to know? Or yeah. is it somebody that's just watched me on Facebook or YouTube or something? So, And then me rolling through the Rolodex may look like I'm not interested in talking to them. So yeah. now I'm a jerk or something. you know. And now you've offended somebody who their only interaction with you their entire yeah. life was a negative one. And that's obviously not a good thing. Yeah. I think it's because the beard is so recognizable. That's the thing. How much, how much of this was just purely for... Uh, just, just the branding. You <laughs> know, I'm always, got me. Yeah, is uh, it a lot? Yeah, yeah okay, absolutely. Uh, the all black. Sh- you know, I'm. Yeah. You make yourself a meme at some point, right? right? You're like, hey, there's yeah, I've the noticed the, the same shirt, the beard, the red hammer. Yeah, yeah. He's made himself into a yeah. meme. Well, I have a really weak jawline. Okay, so that was like one of the thing. I'm like, well, if I can get enough, you know. Hair growth here, I can make yeah. it look like I'm a Disney villain. People are like, yo, Dan Bilzerian, man. I you kind of look like Hormozy, too. You know Alex Hormozy? <laughs> yeah. You, you, you also have so? the hairline, too. You know? The yeah, you have, the, you have the immaculate hairline yeah. of Hormozy. Uh, but he doesn't really have the, that that sort of beard. Right. Yeah, okay. This Jafar chin-looking beard. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. Hit things with it or something. <laughs> Stab things. Yeah, so it definitely stands yeah. out. So that is definitely by intent. And then we, we talk sometimes. We're like, you know, maybe I should just shave clean and shave my head and just the amount of con- uh, comments. Yeah. And things, but then you're not recognizable, yeah. right? Where are you investing? Oh boy! Um, so I just invested in uh, our version of the Napropathic School. It's coming to Nevada, so we're going to be opening a school here to teach kind of what we do. Cool. Um, so any in, in a in a school, which is a unique investment. So that's my most recent, and it's you know five ten year probably. Sure. Um, I did you know probably like you. I did a lot of short selling early in the in the 2020 recession of the stock market and just everybody made out like gangbusters so yeah. it wasn't because i was a good investor it was because i knew it was coming back yeah. right got some crypto uh more than i probably should at this point really luckily i wasn't in the luna boat but you know would you buy bitcoin ethereum i'm mostly any, any crazy okay. i mostly have staked ether for the most part staked uh, a lot of it yeah are you ever How worried does that make you feel 
Are you ever worried that uh, it might not ever unstake? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so worried about that. Yes. So for the, yes. No? no, nothing. No. So for those who don't know, basically. Smarter than me. Yeah. So basically with Ethereum, you could, you could stake your Ethereum on the blockchain and it basically will help facilitate transactions. And in doing so, you'll get paid. What's the interest rate? Like 6%? It keeps dropping. Yeah. Oh, as more people stake, basically, the less they need to pay out to keep the stakes. I think it's down to three or something now. Yeah, so, I mean, the the mindset for a lot of people is that if you're not planning to sell it anyway, you may as well stake it and get 3% because you weren't planning to sell. But you can't unstake it until Ethereum 2.0 comes out, which has been every single year since, like, 2018, I believe. Um, Been promised every year. Yeah, been promised every year. So I'm in this belief where it's like they they said last year's like oh 2022 the end of 2020 probably by 2023 it might, like i get so worried that that money just you don't know right. i mean it could be 10 years from now 15 years and what if you need the money i, I, I think there are ways that you could sell mm-hmm. uh but you lose a significant amount of value in the right. process which makes sense yeah so yeah i mean the I'm hope I'm lo- really with crypto. I'm long term investing, I mean, yeah. at least till the next halving cycle or whatever. So I'm trying to put things in different ranges, right? So like, say a school is ten, and some real estate might be twenty. Um, so I'm trying to tinker some of my returns over different periods of time. Mm-hmm. You know, long term, obviously, tax write off investing in SEPs and four hundred one k's is even further than that. So uh, I, what I've been really trying to do is hit all those single boxes. So yeah, I do real estate, uh, school, crypto stocks. But the number one thing I invest on is my own business, mm-hmm. you know. So if if I have extra money, it's going to be going into opening a new location, buying new equipment, so stuff that can help to a make you more money and b create more jobs and c create more people without pain. Yeah. So for the school, um, how how big is the school that you're planning to to build? So what we're so we're partnering with a medical uh, university here. So I'm not going to say who they are yet because sure. we still need to finalize it. Yeah. But so the first accredited naturopathic school is in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So naturopathy is only licensed in two states right now. So we're in Illinois and New Mexico, um, under the medical board in New Mexico. And what we're trying to do is take it nationwide to all 50 states. So what that requires is money for lobbying. We've got to get in with the politicians in each and every state. So we're looking to, like I said, license here, hopefully within the next year for naturopaths. And, you know, quite frankly, the school has to pay gross receipts and state income tax in New Mexico. So Nevada seems like a much better place for corporate headquarters for mm-hmm. it. It's going to be easier to get students here for it as well in yeah. Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is, you know, an hour from the airport and in New Mexico. You know, this is the center of everybody comes through Vegas. Mm-hmm. So we've got, I think, 38 students right now. And the goal would be to get to 200 to 300 within the next five years. Wow. And we're also going to expand into Florida next. So the states that... um yeah, the accreditation allows because there's a bunch of different processes, right? You have to go through accreditation for federal student loans. You have to go through licensing for schools. Then you have to go through medical licensing so that people can have a practice act. Mm-hmm. And each one of those things requires a lot of lobbying, a lot of finances, a lot of lawyers. And so um, really, like I said, we're trying to go all in and expand it and then create this profession that sort of straddles the in-between between, you know, physical therapy and Cairo and massage and sort of takes the best aspects of all those and then combines them into one. Got it. So you reached out to me like, uh, when was it? About two weeks ago. Yeah. What prompted you to reach out then? Was it the I, fight? I think, yeah. The boxing match? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Now, now I'm a pro fighter. So <laughs> now, now I could get in that way. There you go. Yeah. So, so now we have another pro fighter on, on our uh, patient roles. That's really cool. What's your plan to do with me? Because I've seen the videos. I don't know if you're going to be doing the hammer 
or like the the neck what did you have in mind i was probably going to sell you some crack on the internet okay so. all right well Jack, you, you were looking for that earlier, right? Yeah, I'll take some too. <laughs> there we go. We've got a second. We got a third. Of course, I, of there course. it is. Yeah. Yeah. So we were. I was coming back through Vegas, and I saw that you had moved here because yeah. I definitely watch a lot of your content cool. as well. So I was like, yeah, that that seems like a good fit. Um, cool. He's a, he, he just got in a boxing match. I'm yeah. assuming his neck is probably pretty tight. It's always tight. It's always. I always. I'm I'm really uptight in my like upper back, and then. I have flat feet, so my lower back, when I stand too much, also hurts. Did you say you've so. never been adjusted before? Never been adjusted. Uh, uh, let me tell you, the first time my neck was adjusted, it was. I, I'm so excited to see Graham get adjusted. And I don't know when uh, he's posting the video, but if he posts it, we'll link it down below because it's going to be a sight to see. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've seen the one where you did you did the thing and the, the, the neck range, and you had her like move her neck, and mm-hmm. then you cracked it, and she could like move her neck all the way around like the exorcist person. Right. Uh, so are you going to do that to me? Yeah, probably. Really? Yeah. Wow. How does it make you feel? Uh, nervous and excited. That sounds like the right yeah. emotion. Because I, yeah, I hate pain, obviously. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, I, I'm more Listen, so just like... people that don't hate it, obviously. Scared. I'm just like... <laughs> there's stores for it. Like, they have... Uh... It just... It just seems like uh, I, I, know, I feel like, like there's people that are spooky. into pain. I don't know, probably. probably yeah. Looking at the stores yeah. that I'm driving by, and I'm yeah. like, hmm. <laughs> well, I got a funny yeah. chiropractor story. So I've never been adjusted, but I have been like rubbed. You know how they like rub your muscles really hard? I had an IT band injury back like junior mm. year of high school, and I went in. Uh, I actually went to the emergency room first, and I got X-rays because I thought I broke something. Mm-hmm. Turns out I didn't. They sent me to the chiropractor and they like rubbed my my IT band a bunch. One of the most excruciating pains I've ever felt in my mm-hmm. entire life. That wasn't an adjustment or anything. Right. But then afterwards, after this like huge, probably took like 20 minutes of rubbing, yep. terrible. They sent me to this other room and they attached these little stickers to my leg from like my hip all the way down to my ankle. Mm-hmm. And these stickers send electrical impulses to your leg to like shock it to stimulate the muscles and to get oh, blood flow. Does it cause it to like seize? It was up. like yeah, like seizing up and convulsing oh. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then they wrapped it in this huge like freezing pack wrap. So my entire leg was like all casted up basically from the hip all the way to the ankle. And this guy spent let's say like fifteen minutes getting it all ready. And then he left the room. And immediately once he left the room, I looked. And it was the wrong leg. No, 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 yeah. no way. You didn't notice it yeah, was the wrong leg. It was just the wrong leg. No, yeah. That he set this entire like he rubbed out the right one because it was incredibly painful. Right. But as soon as he sent me the room for these wraps and everything, just the wrong leg. Was and it I, was it a different person doing the wraps or was it the same person? No, it was the same person. Oof. And I and I was like, eh, excuse me. Ex- Is this in Vegas? No, this is uh, SoCal. Okay. Yeah. And I was I remember I kept trying to call out from like I was like lying down. My leg was getting shocked. I was like, excuse me, please come back. <laughs> and they just kept going. And, oh no. And then it was the most awkward thing that I've been deliberating in my head. I'm like, do I tell him? So he can do it to the right leg, or do I just leave and act like it didn't happen? <laughs> and then they came in after I did the oh whole treatment. Gosh. It was like 20 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever. They came back and, excuse me, I'm so sorry, but you did the wrong leg. And it was just like a total facepalm moment. It was, oh. it was, yeah, something. Jack. So they, they, they did it. Yeah, okay. they put it on the right leg, and uh, through probably four sessions of just like intense rubbing and right. everything like that, and the shocking, it actually fixed it. Right. Yeah, terribly painful. Right. But, I did the injury for like two months, so yeah, it was pretty bad. 
Yeah, I've had I've had IT band syndrome. It's brutal. Terrible. Not fun. Yeah. Starts out mm. in the upper thigh and then it just moves down to the knee. And yeah. that's where it really was. And when I was five King for a while, I had that and then they had to get in there and break it up and mine was I was a runner too. So. Yep. Yeah. Not, not, not fun at all, but it works. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it's crazy that you say that. So if you, anybody's ever so some of our rotations we actually go and watch surgeries. Um and then, you know, I'm friends with a lot of orthopedic surgeons, so they'll let me sit in because we do cadavers in school, but we don't watch surgeries. So for us to have a better idea of what our, our surgical friends are doing, it's really cool to be able to go in there and watch orthopedic surgeries and things like that to watch the tissue in real life and in the joint. Mm -hmm. But every time there's a procedure, I think, I don't know how many have to come in. Several doctors have to come in and mark the leg and they mark it over and over again, mm -hmm. because obviously this has happened so many times over the history mm -hmm. of, you know, surgical procedures yeah. and, you know. Shocking the wrong leg is annoying, but it's not the same as like doing an ACL graft or something on the wrong yeah. leg, right? Or, or God forbid, an amputation. Yeah, I was about to say, they yeah. amputated the wrong foot. Which has happened. Oh, man. Holy Many God. times, right? So they, they really go overboard yeah. now because of the, the consequences yeah. of that. And the lawsuit would probably just be. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you see, you see the, you know. People, and again, they're humans, right? But, you know, they leave a sponge in or they leave a scissors or something. I mean, leave it's Leave a sponge inside? Yep. Yeah, it's happened, you know. Um, yeah, I've seen so many YouTube videos where, like, the, the mystery illness, where they get really sick all of a sudden. They don't know what it is. And, you know, they're at the brink of death. And then it turns out that, like, the doctor left the sponge in 10 years ago and it got infected over time or it dissolved and, like... Wow. crazy things uh there's some i've even seen where they've left yeah like you mentioned equipment in yeah. there so um yeah you know so we're supposed to learn from our mistakes yeah. and so obviously the the more time goes on the more precautionary procedures the more people come in and check and all those kind of things because they're humans right just like everybody so they they make mistakes unfortunately the consequences some people you can't just have mistakes right like the gardener he, he trimmed the wrong you know hedges or something yeah. like you can't have a pilot that didn't land the plane right, you know? right so depending on the consequences of the procedure like there's just you have to double triple quadruple check yeah those things if they make my ice cream sunday wrong it's not, not that serious right? no this wasn't a big deal i i was just right. nervous because i didn't want to be i felt bad because my god you spent all this I mean, time wrapping my leg like, and you oh. didn't at any point say that's kind the, of you know, speak up a little I mean, more, the, no? they cough your visit like, oh, just talking do they at least cough your visit and give it to you for free no no, I still paid. I honestly, like, it wasn't a terrible feeling. It's kind of a unique sensation. I wouldn't call sure. it pleasurable, but like getting shocked and the cold sensation, you know, whatever. Yeah. It wasn't bad. So like in our office, like, you know, our motto is results matter. So if, if there's somebody that we can't help, like I have to send them, like most people I know right away, like I'm like, no man, you need mm -hmm. back surgery. Let's link you up yeah. with somebody, um, you know, or, or wherever we're going to refer them out to. Or if I do a full treatment on them and nothing has changed at all, it's very rare that I'm going to find something because I spent an hour with everybody, right? Mm -hmm. That that magically I'm going to have a breakthrough on the fourth session or something. So we're, we, if we don't get the changes, at least 50, 75% that we're looking for, we, we comp the visit. Like mm. we don't, to me, it's like you, you have a stake and they mess it up, right? You would expect for it to be free or them to replace it. Yeah. You know, it, healthcare is the only thing that they can sort of mess it up and then just still charge you for it. You know, That's interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, you know, if the car was damaged, you could take it back or something like that. Right. So it's something that's always bothered me about healthcare is that if something doesn't work, right, you get a surgical procedure done or a medication or whatever. Yeah, like, why, why, why am I not getting my money back? This didn't work. Mm -hmm. um, that's a good take. You know, yeah. uh, whether no matter what it is, like, oh, it's a ten thousand dollars stem cell therapy or something. You're like, okay, cool. And then you get it done, and you're like, yeah, I don't feel any better. And you're like, tough. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's there's no other fields that you would your product would fail on you that you wouldn't 
you know, be able to send it back or get a refund or something. Yeah. And so that's something we've, you know, we've always tried to incorporate is that this is a customer based and like I said, a provider based. So their feedback is what matters. If they don't think they're better then they're not. Right. Yeah. So it you doesn't matter what, what I think. You know what I absolutely hate about healthcare, not to get into it, but um, I hate how you can never know what something is going to cost. Like, yeah. Why can't oh I gosh. go in and just, yeah. Why can't I go in and just be, you know, they tell me I need this and then I'm like, well, how much is it going to cost? And then they they don't tell you. Like I, I don't know. Why do you? And I know chiropractic is a little bit different, um, but do you know why there's there's such a such a fog, I guess, in the yeah. field in, in terms of pricing? So, so Cairo can be different, and sometimes it's not. It depends on the provider, how much insurance they're taking, or you know if they're doing personal injury or whatever. There's a couple components. One is that there's a social stigma about doctors talking and, and nurses talking about money for their patients. Um, even though you take an oath to do no harm, that also means do no financial harm. So you should always try to find the, you know, the, the most affordable care for them as well. Hmm. Um, unless there's an alternative, right? So they'll, they'll just kind of pass you off and you have to deal with the front desk staff whose job is to be the pit bull and to fight for the money. And I, I just don't think that that's a, an acceptable situation because the front desk person doesn't know the medical procedures. They don't know the terminology. And so you're, you're really creating a barrier. And I, I just think it's a, a cultural stigma. The doctors don't deal with that kind of stuff. And you can ask a doctor and they'll, they'll basically never tell you, you know, this, Oh, I don't know. It depends what your insurance will cover all oh, the front desk will, you know, it, it's an uncomfortable conversation. And maybe it has to do with the fact that you're dealing with a person's body and you're yes, putting a price so. yeah. on their I don't body think you parts. I do that. Like, oh, I need a liver. Well, you know, that, well, our liver is uh, $750,000 if you want that. But we have a deal going on right now. <laughs> if you get uh, the, the pig liver the instead, $150,000 on this one. It's experimental. <laughs> Uh, or yeah, it's, it's it seems bad weird. Soon. Yeah. But, but I think <laughs> expires. You yeah. got to see us yeah. next five minutes. Though. <laughs> but I think people deserve that transparency, right? Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is that it is a financial decision. You are making financial decisions. It's the number one cause of bankruptcy, right? Yeah. So people are going bankrupt. They're getting this huge bill on the back of the mail. They can't contact people. They're sent to collections and they didn't even know what the procedure would be. Yeah. They don't know what in, in, in network or out of network means. They don't know what copay, they don't even know what copays mean. Mm. You know, they're like, oh, I have insurance. And then they assume they're going to be covered and they get a $40,000, $50,000 bill. We need to do better in all of healthcare. So in our business, our prices are right there on the website, right? There's never going to be an upcharge, downcharge. This is what it is. If you want shockwave therapy, it's $40 for 30 minutes, right? If you're getting orthotherapy, it's going to be $90 for an hour. Mm -hmm. That's what it is, period. If you're getting just a spinal alignment, it's $40. Um, so people, our, our patients know what the price is and then... You know, after my first session, whether I charge them or I don't, we say, I think this is going to be about four sessions, five sessions, whatever that's going to be. And then we target that. So we don't obviously take the money up front, but they have an idea if they want to keep going forward, what this is going to cost. It's going to be $360 for us to resolve yes. this, right? And if along the way, this isn't working for you, then we send you somewhere else. Yeah. But then they go there and they go to some outpatient PT and it turns out their deductible is 6000 and they get a, you know, a $500 bill on their first visit that's just an eval. And then they're like, well, why'd you send me there? I'm like, well, that's the care you need. But they throw out $500 with no improvement. And it's not the PT's fault necessarily. Maybe it's the organization. But, you know, I think as healthcare in general, we need to do a much better job with transparency financially for people, especially given what the cost to our economy is financially from healthcare. Yeah. Why is so much medical care so expensive, though? Because my understanding is that they just bill really high, expecting the insurance company to negotiate it down. And, like, that's the only reason why. 
Well, there's a, there's a lot of components to that. So the one thing you mentioned right off the bat, there's a middleman, an intermediary, and they have a lot of salaries to pay for along the way as well. So an insurance company is designed to be profitable, even though they're really not. They're subsidized a lot by the government, um, but they have a lot of admin they've got to pay, and they've got a lot of people that are making phone calls they've got to pay. So there's a lot of leak in the finances that goes along there as well. That's one component. Right. The other component is you're dealing with. So think about what it would cost to run a hospital. Imagine what the electricity bill is, you know, uh, your, your liability insurance just for slip and fall, sure. you, what you're you're paying your entire staff everywhere. And then you add the litigiousness of the healthcare system as well to where when people sue hospitals or large industries, it's better for them to just settle than to take this all the way to court or damage their public opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, for small providers like us, we'll just bankrupt the company and start over again. We're not going to deal with that. But mm-hmm. if you're a large hospital or something like that, you're just going to basically pay people to go away or shut up and sign an NDA. So that cost is passed back on as well, whether that's it should have been settled or it shouldn't. I'm not there to decide that, but that's a cost. They'll, they'll argue that R&D is a big part of that as well, that it costs a lot of money to come up with a surgical screw or it costs a lot of money to find the right titanium blend or the cost to develop a drug. Um, so that money should be built back into the equation. Well, and I, I'm not sure they're wrong necessarily. I'm a devoted capitalist in general, but I think there's a couple places where socialism is a better fit. And to me, I think that's actually for healthcare that people have to have. And I think for education, I, I don't think that unfettered capitalism, um, in those two areas that make society better is the best idea that, you know, a college could just keep running up the tab and it costs you a million dollars a year yeah. with no guarantee that this degree will lead you anywhere. Um, and then it's just between you and the federal government. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think healthcare is another thing that, that you don't ha- you're not entitled to somebody else's labor or time, which is sort of what healthcare is, right? These doctors went to school for 12, 13 years, so they should be compensated. But I think this, the problem is cyclical. So here, here let, me, let me rewind this all the way yeah. back. So they're just expanding this now. So going back to medical school, they can expand more medical students. They don't, like nurses, like they can't get into nursing school, even though we have a shortage. Um, so there's Medicare pays for residency placements. They pay salaries for residency placements. Medicare doesn't have a ton of money, right? It's essentially bankrupt. There's right. not a lot of money there. So they're paying the salaries for the resident doctors that are making 50, 70 grand a year. So they can't expand more spaces, even though our population is growing. So these medical students graduate med school, and now there's no places for them to match into residency. So because of that, the medical schools don't want a ton of graduates graduating that can't get placed into residency and sitting there. So they're going to have to cap how many students they're bringing in as well. Well, with inflation and, you know, some of these medical schools are for profit out there. Uh, they're going to jack the tuition up um, to make up the difference because they're not able to increase the amount of students that they get in. So it's kind of bottlenecked on the on the far end you know, from the residency placing programs as well. So now these doctors are coming out with three, $400,000. I think the average is like 300000 I think, in mm-hmm. student loan debt now at, what, six point something percent interest right. um, that they have to start paying even though they're making minimum wage or less, essentially, as a resident. Um, and that's going to influence some people's behaviors. Wow. You know, even chiros. Like, so I refer out for all imaging, but some chiros have an x-ray machine in their office, right? So you have to pay for the machine. You've got to pay for the OSHA. you got to get lead in the wall, all this other stuff. So if your patient, if you're on the fence, if your patient needs an x-ray or not, do you want the bias that you're having to pay for your x-ray machine to be factored into your decision making? Because I'm not sure how many humans could completely separate those two things from each other. Yeah. Right. They have medical debt. They have kids in school. You know, I, I think as much as you'd like to think that every single person would always make the ethical decision, I don't think that's reasonable mm. to expect out of every single person. So when you saddle doctors with three, four hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt, like, I think that incentivizes certain types of behaviors. I think it pushes them to types of procedures that are cash-based, whether they're Botox or, you know, stuff like that. 
and away from Medicaid paying for family doctors or for pediatricians or people like that. What's the solution to that? It just seems like uh, maybe the Canadian system is a little bit better where they have higher taxes, but healthcare is available to anybody on a on, you know, first come first serve basis. Is there something that you would suggest that might make it better? I don't know. I think just like anything, if there was an easy solution, we'd have it. Like, is there an easy solution to immigration? No, you could see both sides. So I think I think for wealthier people, there's no better place in the world you can get healthcare than the United States of America. You know, in Canada, you know, if, if you want something outside the system, uh, you're going to have to wait a really long time. Yeah. You know, also, Canada is a significantly much less demographically diverse country. Uh, economically and ethnically Mm -hmm. and religiously. So I think those countries that have small populations and lots of money, they're able to do things that bigger countries like the United States or Brazil can't do. You know, New Zealand and Canada and some of these places, Norway, that we compare. I mean, you're talking about, you know, small countries, low population, homogenous, very wealthy. You know, you don't see areas like Detroit or New Orleans or Baltimore or even Albuquerque in Norway or New Zealand. You don't have that wealth disparity. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that fall into those categories. And how do you take care of them? Again, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I think the best innovation and in technology and all those things come from the United States for the most part. Some of that is because of capitalism. We incentivize researchers to create, you know, brand new uh, robotic surgeries or medications or things like that, because capitalism is incentive by nature, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you're going to fight for the best product, but there's a downside to it. What's a better solution? I don't know. Like democracy has problems, right? Do we think that the most amount of people should be making decisions? I mean, that's sort of how the the Salem witch trials happen. Right. That's how you know a lot of the horrible things in history have happened because more people said that it was okay. Right. Uh, but what's a better system than that? I don't know. Nobody's come up with a better one. So I don't know. I, we need reform, and, and and it could be that you fix one thing and it creates a leak somewhere else, and most things tend to be that way, mm-hmm. that the best laid plans don't work. I just know that in a country this wealthy, we shouldn't have as many people going bankrupt over their bodies or their health care. Now, circle back around, you could say, hey, we don't take care of ourselves very well either. So we're you know 70% obese, so we're paying a lot of money for lifestyle medicine, for diabetes care, for you know people like me that eat a lot of processed food that ended up with ulcerative colitis that I have to take a medication every month, you know we're just we make a lot of bad decisions and that might be a byproduct of our Americanness of wanting mm-hmm. to do what we want of having lots of money to where we can smoke e-cigs all day or you know whatever that is that we know is bad for us but we still do it um, that we end up having to pay for those lifestyle behaviors and activities down the road. Right. I don't know. Like we, we should know better, but we still smoke. We still gamble. We, you know, as a society, we still make things and decisions that, that are harmful for us, that, um, that are going to cost us down the line. So then what is it? We authoritarianly don't let people do those things. You know, freedom is important too, right? Like freedom to choose what you want to do with your healthcare, Mm -hmm. I think is really important. Um, you know, in, in, in EBM or evidence-based medicine, there's three components. There's literature, there's the clinician's, you know, intent or, or recommendation, and there's the patient's willingness to be a part of that. So if the patient doesn't want to do it, it's not EBM. Mm-hmm. So they have to be part of that. They have to buy into the treatment. They have to buy into whatever it is, which requires freedom. Do we force people to eat certain types of food because we know it saves us money as a country? I think it's a very slippery slope to go down. That's really interesting. That was really well said. I didn't expect that, like that good of an answer. I agree, I agree yeah, completely. I, everything. Oh my gosh! Like, what do I? What is this? Like, I agree no with. Yeah. yeah like, what can the I say? The only follow-up is yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I agree. Uh, I do see, though, that we are making progress in that in terms of like getting sodas out of elementary schools or putting water and just healthy, uh, healthier alternatives. Uh, I know I remember it was it was a huge thing when McDonald's was starting to serve like salads and fruits instead of fries and 
things like that that I think are at least setting us on the right trajectory. Yeah, but I, I don't think so. A lot of those things I think they've pulled back away from over time because they're just not popular, and um, we incentivize. I mean, even just look at a fast food structure of how they make money. They make money selling large sodas, right? Like so, they they offer you. It, it doesn't make sense how you could get. 10, 15 chicken nuggets for 99 cents. Mm. They're losing money there. They have to pay for their real estate. They have to pay for all the people working there, their insurance, the cost to ship the, the chicken there, the actual chicken themselves. How, how would that ever be possible to sell that much food for 99 cents? Well, a couple of things, right? Real estate is their mm -hmm. business for one. And two, they're, they're making a bunch of money on cheap foods like fries and drinks. That's what the business model is predicated in a lot of those businesses. So either the business folds or that's the food they keep giving. So we have this idea of food deserts and, and places like that where people, it's expensive to buy a salad. Mm. Um, some of that's caused by the, the economics of it, that wealthier people tend to be skinnier and more health conscious because they can, right? If you're not working yeah. two jobs and taking care of kids by yourself, you have the luxury of spending time in the gym or spending time you know, finding healthier foods. So there's an economic component to it as well that we always blame people for being fat or whatever, but also yeah. like- Is it because I've also heard that, uh, and I've seen breakdowns on how healthier foods could actually cost less than eating at fast food restaurants, assuming you're able to buy those foods in bulk and just spend 20 minutes every few days cooking in bulk. Yeah, it, it makes sense. You should yeah. be able to. And I think that like we just said, like, Wealthy people are willing to pay more for it, right? Right. So they can they can charge more because capitalism will allow that. It's like the argument about like veganism. Like on average, vegans are healthier than non-vegans, correct? Everybody's kind of looked at the data, longevity, heart disease. Yeah. Is it because they're vegan? Maybe, but also you have to take into account the fact that they're a vegan means they're probably not eating processed foods. They're probably not smokers because they're health conscious by mm -hmm. nature. They probably exercise a lot. Their BMI is lower. There's so many other factors that we could just say it was this one thing or this one thing, but everything is multifactorial. Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about is demos, income, conditioning, uh, marketing, what's been marketed to you. Uh, these, these companies for sure make food addicting, right? Like it's in their best interest to have colors. Did you see the second... Um, the Super Size Me guy? Oh. Uh, the second one where he made the healthy chicken restaurant? I saw the first Super Size Me. I forget what it, what was his name. Anyway. I can't remember. Yeah. The second one, basically what he does is he, he shows you the industry of fooling people into thinking they're getting healthy food. So he would buy free-range chickens, which these are all legal terms. So in, in this movie, free-range just meant that like the end of the container. Oh, it's so BS. Yeah. Had to have like a little thing that got sunlight like 2% of yeah, the time. Yeah. And it, I think the, a lot of those were like they could turn around in their yes. cage. But, like that was free-range. Yes. It's so sad. So he and would people do, think of them on a farm, just like with a one caretaker, like, ah, oh, yeah, it's bad. So, yeah. So his whole business is he creates a fried chicken restaurant that yeah. is able to market in a way that's healthy. So instead of calling it fried, it's, it's like uh, grilled crispy or something like that. Yeah. And they actually physically put like grill, like paint grill marks onto the fried chicken. And then the interior part, they put like, you know, pretty green and vegetables everywhere, but there's actually not any vegetables on the food. Oh my god! And they just use all the words and terminology, free range, organic, da, da 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 da. So he gets a lawyer to help him. He's like, oh yeah, this is organic, da da da. This and this and this, and uh, no steroids. And it, it's through a certain time period. And basically, he creates this like really unhealthy food. But it's super easy to trick everybody into thinking it's a it's a healthy food product by using all the buzzwords. Wait, so for the steroids, when they say it's steroid free, you could technically say it's steroid free if you didn't give it steroids within a certain time frame? I'm not sure about yeah. that. Yeah. There, there, there was something to do with that, that just like everything, there's a legal definition and you're yeah. like, okay, well, that's wow. income, that's not income or, or whatever, right? So the smartest people are always going to find those loopholes and figure out ways to work around those words. But essentially, almost all health 
the healthcare products are sort of doing that as well. They find words that people associate with health, which also explains why when you go to a Whole Foods or something, like the way that people look isn't much different than they do at, I don't know, Kroger or something. Yeah. Right? Like it feels more open and happier and there's produce over here or whatever. But like if you look at the nutritional info on some of these products, it's really not any different. Yeah. It's just they, they found a way to market in a way um, which is why I don't think we've made much progress. I mean, if you look at the data, right. you know, like you were saying, okay, we've got some apples or salads or whatever. Sure. It just doesn't, the data doesn't really show that over a long yeah. period of time. Um, what do you think it's going to take to move us in that direction? Or do you think it's just people are going to be people? If something tastes good, they're going to do it. I think you have both, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't think you can legislate your way to behavior overall. I think you could put up blocks in some ways, you know? But I don't know. I mean, the thing is, we all say we're going to die, but nobody lives their life that way, right? Mm. Uh, we sort of know that, but we don't really live that way. It's hard for us because we've always been alive in our own minds. Like, what were you doing before you were born? I don't know. What are you going to do when you're dead? I, don't know. I can't even imagine it. Mm. All I know is my, my worldview, my life experience. It's like imagine a color you've never seen before. Right. You, you can't. Mm -hmm. So we just sort of move along through what we call time space. We're just kind of gliding. And... Um, things start accumulating injuries, health problems and things like that. And then we're always going to get to it or, you know, homo sapiens are procrastinators by nature. We're energy preservers. So it seems to me that what we're seeing now is everybody sort of has access to be unhealthy and a select few people, whether it's neuroticism or the way they were raised sort of just don't want to be that. And they're choosing not to, and they're doing things to not do that. But it's, it's obviously very difficult. If, if it was easy, everybody would be shredded with a six pack. Um, you know, like when COVID was going on, everybody's like, oh, obesity is killing all these people and da 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 mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't think people that are overweight know they're overweight? They're aware. They know that they should lose weight. But what what can they do to do something about it? They've tried. Mm -hmm. I promise you they've tried. You know, sometimes it's the early stages. I think a lot of it is as a child. You know, I was pretty lean until I got to college. And then I really started to put on weight to try to play linebacker. And mm -hmm. I gained a lot of fat. And I kind of got a set weight of about 220. So I created a bunch of new fat cells. And when you create fat cells, they don't really go away. They, they fill up or, or shrink down with fatty mm. acids. Um, so it takes a lot of energy to create new fat cells. So if you've never been fat, it takes a lot of energy to get there. But once you've already been heavy, it's very easy to get back to your set weight. So for years, I had stayed under 200 pounds. And all it takes is just eating sort of normal foods that everybody else does. But the, my body will just take those those calories and shove them right back into my fat cells, and I'll gain six, seven pounds back in a week, which you wouldn't think is physically possible. You mm. definitely couldn't create new fat cells in that amount of time, but your body can reload the cells you already have, which is why, you know, you see people have to get gastric bypass or, um, you know, fat removal procedures, and for somebody that's never lived that experience, they just like, well, why can't you do it? Which is why it's important yeah. to never do it to begin with, but you know, it's easier said than done. If you're an eight-year-old and, you know, like I said, you've got a single parent and this is the food you have and your friends are eating this food, that's all you know. You know, there's a reason why we speak English. There's a reason why people are the religion they are. They, they were taught that. That's what mm -hmm. they were ingrained with as a child. And by the time you're 14, if you've already had that weight, how are you supposed to overcome that? I mean, it would take the most crazy discipline. And some people can do it, but most of us can. Most yeah. of us are like this with everything, whether it's finances or health. Like, we can go in waves. We'll be really good for a while, but very few people have the, the ability to stay that way all yeah. the time. How do you stick with it? If I had the answer, I yeah. wouldn't look like this. You right. know? Um, I've done it. So for me, it's like if I do a bodybuilding show or if I have a photo shoot, I have to have like a public embarrassment like thing or I have to take my shirt off somewhere. There has to be a secondary incentive for me to do it. Okay. So I've done, I've competed in physique a few times 
And if I know I have to be on stage or compete, then I will be super rigid. But if not, then I just keep procrastinating. I'm like, oh, I do need to lose weight and I'll, I'll get after it for a couple of weeks and then I'll go on the road and eat again and then it'll just be right back. Um, and this is somebody who's cognitively aware mm -hmm. of the habits, the behaviors, the, I, I know exactly how to do it. I've done it before and I still don't even do it. How much does age uh, play a factor in that? I've noticed in, for myself, in what? In what? Uh, like let's say yeah. slimming down. A lot. I have just, I've been working out since January, four to five times a week and eating so clean. Mm -hmm. And I still got the belly. Yep. It's shrunk a little bit, but I remember myself at 25, that would be gone within three months. Yep. So, I mean, there's a genetic component as well, but obviously the older we get, the less growth hormone, the less testosterone we, we create. If you're a female, you don't have much of that anyway, so yeah. you have even less wiggle room. Um, the, the taller and bigger you are, the more your basal metabolic rate is up, you know, to maintain your basal metabolic mm -hmm. rate. But those all drop off as well. So as you've noticed, like when I was younger and I would exercise, I would just throw a salad in one meal a day and I would drop the weight. That doesn't work at all anymore. You know, that's just to keep me from getting even bigger. Yeah. So it's, it's big, you know, it's big. And, um, you know, stomachs shrink and, and grow. And, you know, we even think that there might even be upregulating and downregulating for certain people with insulin and glucagon and things like that to where their body is so used to something, their cells will actually crave it mm. and they'll make you want to get certain types of foods. Um, the, the truth is nutritional science is really soft. We just, we just don't know. Yeah. Like the baseline is calories in calories out, but mm. everybody falls on a spectrum somewhere different. Some people are allergic to, to gluten. Some people, you know, have other types of food allergies. And what you see, of course, in our social media era is what, whatever's the most extreme gets the most clicks. You'll go vegan, you'll go carnivore, you'll go fasting. All those things work temporarily. Like when you only eat meat, you don't have glycogen or water to put into your cells. And so you're going to lose water weight like pretty quickly. You'll look better in the short term, but as soon as you add carbs, they'll shuttle water back into your cells and you'll blow right back Wait, up so explain again. this to me because i've seen this carnivore diet it, it seems like it's the new trend for like the last month joe rogan just tried it can mm -hmm. you explain what that is I'm yeah not so familiar. people are only eating meat and meat products alone like uh, no salads no vegetables right. just meat yeah so it'd be one thing to say hey no processed carbohydrates or something like that and and their argument like liver king is doing this and uh there's a couple uh, physicians that are doing it too i think peter adia and saladino maybe or something too and they're they're doing things off of an evolutionary basis and they're saying plants are designed to fight you off like they're poisonous and they're toxic and they create toxins and things to keep you from eating them and they're sort of right in the sense but like all the vegetables we have now didn't even exist a thousand years ago like we bred them ourselves like mm. there was no kale there was no broccoli a thousand years ago we actually as humans we created food species and types for ourselves to feed masses so since the age of recorded history we've been a grain society before that we definitely were just hunter gatherers we would eat berries and nuts and but basically since written language, you know, grains were what created civilization, rice, wheat. They created so much food that people could live in these river plain systems and then you could get specialization, right? You'd have bankers and people mm -hmm. who, and with bankers, you need to write things down so we have language so people can keep track of their finances and who owes who what. And then you can get metallurgy and you can get all these other things because you're not just chasing buffaloes all the time. So we really have eaten grain for at least 5,000 years to a certain extent. Now, was it bleached flour? Eh, probably not, right? But the, the vegetables and things we've eaten, well, bell peppers, we've bred those things over the last thousand years so i would argue that that's not true for those things those things have high nutritional con content we've actually like i said created them for our mm. usage if you go in the woods you're not going to find anything edible we can't digest cellulose so we actually have to create our own species also we don't have dairy cows in nature we don't have these types of chickens we bred mm. these things just like our dogs yeah they can't survive in nature we created our own foods as hominids over the last five thousand years especially over the last 
200 years. You know, the acceleration of how we breed chickens to where they grow so fast and they have all this meat on their pecs, their feathers don't even keep up with them, mm. their legs break. But it's the only way you can feed 9 billion people is by, by doing that. So I guess the long circle back away around, we're obligate omnivores. We have molars, we have canines. We should probably eat some of all of those things. We should, Cholesterol definitely is associated with heart disease. Like we know that for sure. I know a lot of people want to make that argument, but mm -hmm. you know, it, it is a factor just like blood pressure, just like all these other things. You can eat a lot of vegetables with low caloric input. So it can really help people that are hungry. They can eat a ton of vegetables without a lot of calories. Obviously fats, almonds, things like that are the most calorie dense followed by fatty meats and, and carbs. Um, to me, it seems like I would say this, I would say a lot of people, they could tinker with a higher propensity of one macro group versus the other and see how their body reacts. But I think what you're seeing from people is they're eating only meat and that's what we're seeing is yes. the, the carbs bring the water Steaks in. Steaks and beef and yeah. And we don't know the long-term consequences of that. Like, you know, I guess we'll see in 10 yeah. years or so what their lipids look like, but you know. Uh, it you, seems unhealthy. I don't know why, like I've not looked into it at all. It just seems like maybe for a few months you might try it. Yeah, just a, yeah. And, and I think it works in the short term. You know, I think you can, you know, drop weight in the short term, but I don't think it's a sustainable diet. Just like veganism isn't really sustainable, honestly. Like there, you're missing certain certain micronutrients that you need. Mm. You know, uh, it, it's finding your balance. I mean, you've seen everything. There's the zone. There's the Atkins. You know, I would say one thing for sure that makes us fat is adding is ha having carbs and fats together. Like that's probably the worst combination of things that you can have. So, um, you know, a donut, cake, stuff yeah. like that. So you have. High insulin, high high uh, absorption from the sugar, and then high calories. Alcohol also. So sugar mm. and alcohol, definitely going to add pounds. So for people, it's just getting that calories in, calories out, exercising, finding a balanced, moderate diet. Eat real food. Like the less processed, the better it's going to be. You know, if it comes in a, a bag, you rip open. It's probably not the best thing mm. for you. Um, but I, I think the extremism of the... You know, those diets, Mike, many physicians will say that their concern is there's going to be some serious cardiovascular side effects from having that much saturated fat in your diet. Mm -hmm. um, the, the proponents will say that's not true, that really placking only occurs as due to inflammation and because people aren't allergic to meat. And to a certain extent, they're sort of right. Um, you know, we, we can pretty much eat any kind of meat as a species. We have the enzymatic capacity to eat any kind of meat. We can't eat any kind of plant. You can't eat bark. You can't eat, you know, any old tree that you see. Yeah. So they are right in that sense. We did evolve to eat any kind of meat. We can eat clam. We can eat bugs. We can eat cows, cats. Um, in general, eating that will probably have a less inflammatory fact. Uh, impact than certain types of plants and grains and things. So their argument is if there's less inflammation, there's less plaque buildup, and there may be something to that. They may be right mm -hmm. to a certain extent in that sense. Um, I think Jordan Peterson and, and his daughter are like carnivore people, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, the, you know, I would say what works for every individual matters, but I, I don't think that's a good diet to put in the, the center of the population. Got it. Wow. I'm learning so much now. That I was crazy. This. Yeah. I did not think you would be so knowledgeable on that. <laughs> but I'm very impressed. Yeah, me too. I thought we were going more in the, the, the cracking direction. And then we did the Total my mind blown. Yeah, that man. was insane. <laughs> if you could pick like one diet or one thing to follow Food pyramid. that you believe is the best. It doesn't have to scientifically be the best. That just your own philosophy. I'm just curious what that would be. Uh I'm I'm more on the calories in, calories out. So okay. you know, just looking at your age, your your size, your lean mass, your basal metabolic rate, and just trying to keep your calories under what your you know 
calories in less than what you're expending. Cool. So, you know, try to exercise and it doesn't, you know, really to me, the best cardiovascular exercise is just steady state, you know, walking 20, 30 minutes a day. It's sustainable. It's not as hard on your joints as running and jogging, especially if you're a bigger person. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically people aren't so fatigued and tired that they feel the need to go grab something high caloric. So like me personally, and this is just an anecdote, but like when I've done bodybuilding shows and I try to do really high intensity cardio, I would be so fatigued both mentally that I wouldn't have the willpower to resist me having something fatty. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just be like, you know, about to faint. And so then I would eat something that I shouldn't have, like a giant scoop of peanut butter. And I basically undid all the work I did. Mm-hmm. So you have to figure out like what your mental capacity for exhaustion and tiredness is because everybody's is different, like what they can handle and figure out where your exercise threshold is for that. So like for me, I do better with steady state, but also I've been doing a little more interval training lately, just, just for my cardio, like actual cardiovascular health yeah. too. Um, so that, that's just me. I think most people, you know, again, sleep well, try to keep the light out, move, walk, eat real food, you know, aim for three, four, five, somewhere in their meals a day. Um, try to keep your processed carbs down, try to keep your, your meats leaner and less red meat than otherwise. And they'll argue that too. They'll say, oh, you know, colorectal, but the, the studies are there. So, I mean, eating red meat three, four times a day, some people might be okay, but there is a correlation when we look at the data. Could the correlation be because the people that eat processed meat typically have unhealthy lifestyles as well and smoke and drink? It could be. Yeah. We don't know. We don't have enough data to really say. Um, so I don't think I answered the question. I would say moderation. Calories in, calories out. Yeah, I, I, I would say that. Eat any real food. Got it. Try to exercise some. Do you have any questions for, for us? I think that, you're, that you're not going to end. I think I'm that, saving my questions okay. for you. Cool. So who's, uh, your, who's, who's yeah. your favorite guest on here so far? Bart Kwan? Uh, Bart was amazing. I would say Alex Hormozzi. <laughs> uh, we we all most, say okay. we all say Alex Hormozzi or, for me, uh, Houston from Royalty Exotics. Oh. They, they were both so good. Houston, I didn't expect him to be as, as amazing in front of the camera. Like, Houston's someone where the camera's on him, and he just, like, lights up and he is so natural but hormozy is the same way too mm. so i would say either one of those and then i would say jeanette mccurdy jeanette was McCurdy was another was awesome. that was that was a big milestone for us mm-hmm. to be able to have someone like that on and uh you know both of us were nervous we didn't want to screw it up and uh you know it went so well and she was she was amazing so i would say okay you. other than you what's yeah. uh what's another finance channel that, that either you watch or that you would recommend besides your channel Besides mine, there's so many. Uh, I would say the my favorite all around right now has been Clear Value Tax, and I love I love his demeanor. I love this the it, it, there's no editing in this video. It's just him with some papers, and he talks for ten minutes. I love it because it's just like no clickbait, just the facts, and uh, I really appreciate that content. I watch all of his videos. So financially, is there uh, an author or something that motivated you more growing up or was it more familial? Uh, I just always had an interest in it. Um, The book I first ran into, though, uh, my mom had this in her office and I went in there one day and I picked up the book. It's called The Millionaire Next Door. Mm -hmm. And I read that book at like 10, 11 years old. And that really ingrained in me like, wait a second, millionaires are driving Ford Uh F-150s and Toyota Corollas and like, that's cool. And so from the beginning, that's what kind of like set me, I think, on that trajectory of just happening to find that book. But I was interested in personal finance just as a kid, just saving things. And so for me, it started with like coin collecting. Uh I could save up money and like I could buy this rare coin and just like keep it. So I already had a tendency that like pushed me in that direction. Mm. Okay. So what kind of rare rare uh, currency do you have because i have like a 
have a thousand dollar bill. Oh, do you really? A bunch of Confederate money. Yeah, so I have the Confederate money too. Yeah. Um, the thousand dollar bill is something I've always wanted as, as a kid, and I yeah. thought about buying either like a five hundred dollar bill or a thousand dollar bill and framing it. I think there's a five thousand dollar bill. There's very few of them in circulation, yeah, but I think a, they're they out have there. a ten thousand dollar bill. Could you use that at a normal yeah. restaurant? Technically, yes. Yeah, they can't you not want accept to. legal tender. Right. Right. You uh, wouldn't want to. Yeah. Because they're worth more than. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But technically, yeah, you could go and be like, "Here's a five hundred dollar wow. bill." Yeah. They would look at you like you're. That would make a great video. It's by the most totally. beat up. And just yeah. see how they respond. Yeah. But imagine Dude, if you need to do that. But imagine I my worst fear. What would happen to me is they would look at it. All like, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> put it in the chains. All right. I'll give you hundreds back. And and there's the video. Like you need them to be like, what, what's this? Yeah. It's fake. But and be like, you got to go to somewhere where, you know, they're not keeping enough change to where they could actually yeah. break it for sure. But just right. to get their reactions because they'll be like, this is fake or whatever. What else do you collect? It's um, gosh, well, cars would be the, the big one. Um, well, yeah, I guess watches. Yeah, not a huge collection of watches. Um, Pokemon cards. I think I think everyone has gotten into Pokemon cards at, at some point. Goosebumps. And then the Goosebumps, Goosebumps books that I was showing you over there, I thought that okay. was really cool. I've got a lot of Goosebumps. Um, I would love to get into collecting art one day. I think that would be a lot of fun. I'd, I'd, my dream would be to get like an original Keith Haring. Oh, wow. I think it would be really cool. That would be cool. So... Not yeah. at that point yet where I could, like, because even, like, little postcard sizes are, like, $50,000, $60,000 for, like, a postcard. Jeez Louise. Yeah, and some of these are just, like, literally a pencil sketch. It just, you know, on a on a blank piece of paper and with his name just, like, scribbled on it. Oh, there was one I wanted to bid on. Uh, it went way over what I wanted. It was, uh, what was it, the Steve Jobs thing? Oh, it was the letter he wrote to his friend at 18 years old. Wow. And that went up at Bonham's auction. And I thought... Gosh, that someday is going to be worth a million bucks. Right. And I think it sold for four, four or five hundred thousand dollars. I mean, I thought for two hundred grand, two fifty, it's worth it, and you could take a risk on that. But like five hundred thousand, I, I just see like that sort of memorabilia being worth a lot of money. Right, makes sense. Yeah. Oh, you know what? What else sold? Uh, so the other comp to that was Steve Jobs' first job application, oh. where he filled out his all of his stuff at like you know, I think it was he was seventeen to twenty years old, hmm. and someone kept it. Wow. Yeah. Who would so, keep that? Like, I don't know, but you know, it's it's out there. Anymore. Yeah. Then you're like, okay, what 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 do people have of mine just in case, just in case I ever hit a big? Yeah. Um. So stuff like that. I I love Elon Musk stuff. So like, I got the Tesla Roadster, but I would love, I don't know, like an early Elon Musk something or other. I I I think collecting just memorabilia. You know. So what do you think about the Twitter acquisition stuff? Uh, that'll be interesting to see. I think I think he's so smart. I, I the, the people maybe can't wrap their minds around what he's doing right now. People are just like, oh, he's just manipulating it because he's bored. I don't think so. It's not worth his time. Um, but like him selling off uh, a stake in his Tesla, I believed he wanted an excuse to sell it at the peak or what he believes would be a, a really high valuation. And he sold above $1,000 a share. And I think that was genius. Uh, and he used it as like, well, the Twitter poll said, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to do it. And he sold off a huge chunk uh, looking back at a really good price. And right. he sold, you know, now it's 30% lower than that. Yeah. So he made out well on that. Twitter, I think uh, I think it's a weird acquisition for him, but it could, it could mean a lot of influence that uh, could help his narrative. So if he's trying to pass something, I mean, to be able to shape someone's uh, perception of politics or uh, different views... Uh, could be really powerful. Right. And so to have someone like that take control of Twitter, it's a big responsibility, but it could benefit him. Um, 
I, I just don't know about like, I think he's going to throw the offer, try to negotiate. And if they don't take it, he's going to turn it around on Twitter. It's like, hey, like I tried to do my best. Uh, you know, it's not worth this. It's probably going to be the bots. He's probably going to say they're 10% of the accounts are bots. I didn't know this. Therefore, I'm adjusting my offer to this. It's a fair offer. It's above what it's currently trading at. Uh, and, and then if they decline that, then they're the bad guys. So do you own Twitter stock? No. No, I remember everyone's like, oh, it's easy, easy to buy it now because he's going to buy it at 54. I'm like, we'll see. so much could happen. We'll that, see. Yeah, I I would be shocked if it closes at 5420. Uh, I think he would negotiate. He'd be bad if he didn't negotiate it. We'll see what happens. But also, I think his Tesla stock has to do better in the short term. The other thing, too, is he could be taking some of his equity in Tesla, which uh-huh. could be overvalued putting it into Twitter at a time where it could be undervalued. So maybe he's trying to mitigate his risk because mm. I think every, not everyone, a lot of people look at Tesla and think, oh, you know, how does that compare to Cisco? Where it's still trading below what it was 20 something years ago. Could that happen to Tesla? I think there's a chance of it happening. And that's, that's the unpopular thing to say. But if Elon sees that or he's con- concerned about it, it makes sense. Take, take a little bit and put it over to Twitter, and at least that's a hedge. Sure. And he has a lot of influence with Twitter. Yeah, it's interesting you said that people may not understand him because obviously the guy has like genius level intellect. And, um, you know, we were having that conversation with somebody the other day. We were saying, um, you know, when you look at like a Wexler or Stanford Binet IQ, which is, which is a tool, right? It's not the tool for intelligence, but it's a tool. Um, Somebody at 140 IQ is the relative difference to an average person is the average person is to somebody at 60. And 60 is what we consider really? mentally handicapped. And there, there are some people with like trisomy 21 or, or downs that are in that, you know, that range in that upper 50s, 60s. Mm. So you know, the average person trying to have a finance conversation with somebody with, you know, a mental disability is the relative difference between Elon trying to have a conversation with an average person. It's, yeah. it's they're, they're never going to be able to comprehend the nuance or the level of detail that's being applied or, or discussed there. Yeah. And even, and I don't know what he is obviously or whatever, but I, I think it's a fair shake to say he's probably smarter than all of us. Yes. Um, so for us to even try to understand, you know, the, the internal machinations or the, the long-term projections, um, I'm not sure even if he explained it to us that we'd even be able to comprehend it. And there are people that are that far on the, the spectrum that we just, we, we can't even keep up. I would agree with that. And I think he's he's not just this spontaneous person just doing stupid stuff. I think there's a motive behind everything he does. And some of it I do think is self-amusement. I think he honestly just has fun talking about things that he enjoys, Dogecoin probably being one of them. He enjoys the meme. He likes the culture. I think there's a lot of that playing into it, and people look for a meaning behind it where there is none. I think Dogecoin is just something fun. Right. I don't think he's... He's sitting back, be like, hey, look, I pumped the price. I don't think he cares. I think he's just having a great time. He's self-amused, and uh, I, I don't think there's any more to it. And I think that at some point, if you're at a certain level of of wealth or a certain level of influence, I mean, I, th- I think some some nihilism has to creep into a certain extent because you're like, well, how much further could we even go? I mean, we're, I've reached a point to where I've accomplished everybody's goals, and what else is there? I mean, try to live forever, try to leave an impact, clean up the oceans, you know, decrease your carbon footprint. It has to be something that's like more meta in a way uh, to to make you motivated or to interest you. I mean, it's yeah. not just 
startup company or something like that. The things, your dopaminergic response requires so much more stimulation and that's either melting down Twitter or getting in a fight with the SEC or, you know, creating a tunnel company. I mean, so this is like you said, there's some level of amusement in the nihilism, I think, that like you realize, and this happens even at the high IQ levels. People realize that like we're all be dead in 60 years. So really nothing matters at all. And like somebody's going to have to figure things out. And so for some people, they just check out. They're like, why would I do anything? You know, yeah. and, and to other people, they go, oh, there's no pressure because nothing really matters anyway. So I'll just really have a really awesome, you know, kick-ass life. Mm. And and then you have everybody else that can't imagine that everything is super important. And it's like, dude, like 99.9% of everybody that's ever lived is already dead. You know, they were having these same conversations about some horrible thing that was happening 800 years ago and it was the end of the world. And now nobody's even has record of what they were talking about. And that's that's where we are in the sphere, too. It's important in our lives. But in the grand spectrum, nothing we really do or say sort of matters. And if that's the case, then like let's troll everyone. Let's let's make memes or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like when you're at that A level of intellect and B level of wealth, I, I can't me having some trolly natures in myself. I can't imagine what I would be like if I was at that level. I think a lot of people would do the exact same thing, and especially no, I think and with no the real consequences. Yeah, no, either, for right? the for for him in the SEC, I find that amusing. I do too because he's taunting them, and then and the <laughs> fines for him. So what, like ten million bucks? That that would be like a, like a a normal person be like, oh hey, you got to pay me five cents right now, and, and you know you just pay it just to just to be able to taunt a little bit. I th- I think he gets a kick out of that. Yeah. I agree. Uh, so it's it's entertaining. It makes uh it makes Twitter not as boring as it usually is. Yeah. Most people just raging at each other about everything. It's, yeah. I guess they're raging at him somewhat now, but it's uh to have him not raging back is somewhat interesting. Right. I don't know. I put a lot of faith in him. I have a lot of trust in him. Um, some people don't, but uh, I'm really looking forward to see whatever he does, whether he buys it. If he doesn't. Um, it'll be interesting to see. So do you have Doge? Uh, I have a little bit of Doge that I bought a year ago for a video that's down 80%. (laughs) It was, it was one of the videos I did on Dogecoin where I Uh said, if you like the video for every like the video gets, I will invest 10 cents into Dogecoin. And how many likes did it have? I don't know. Wasn't there a cap at 10,000? Oh, maybe, no, maybe it was... Maybe yeah. what? Oh, there was a cap. Yeah, yeah. I bought ten thousand. I mean, okay. that's so. Yeah, so about ten thousand. If it gets X likes, I'll buy ten thousand of Doge. I think is what it was. Mm. Oh, maybe that was it. Yeah. Where essentially every like is worth like ten cents. Mm. I, I did that. So you're, so, you're, you're hodling your yeah. Your and Doge. I and I said um, I'll hold it for a year. Okay. The year's probably been up actually. Come to think about yeah, it, you're not gonna sell, are you? It's worth nothing. It's down right? so much. I mean, at this point, I may as well just keep holding because you it. You can't. You can't. Uh, you can't harvest crypto losses at the same extent you can stocks correct i don't know if you could harvest crypto against stocks you could harvest crypto against crypto so i could but like i'm basically at my cost basis or slightly below for bitcoin um i'm basically at my cost basis for ethereum so there's not a lot to harvest there right so you know i could probably just sell everything and rebuy it back in and at least set everything the same because i have some lots i bought way lower some lots higher so i could but if you're going to do that, move to Puerto Rico before you do it, right? Uh, well, for crypto, sell, wouldn't, sell, sell it and rebuy it. Yeah, well, for crypto, it wouldn't matter because if, if my cost basis is 30 and some I bought at 40, some I bought for 20, it's like it's going to balance out. It's going to be the same thing. There's no benefit. So, so you're not going to join the Pauls in, in Puerto Rico? No. Who's the, no. Who's the other dude? Uh, Mr. Gold. He's always ragging on stocks and everything just by gold. Schiff. Oh, Peter Schiff. Yeah. Oh, Peter Schiff. Yeah. Guy. Seems like it would be interesting, but I feel like. Uh, it would make the podcast, this podcast, you couldn't do it in Puerto Rico. Like, the it's easy to get people in Vegas. 
right? Because it's like people travel here naturally. Right, it's a big community here. And anyone in the in the U.S. you want to come to Vegas for a weekend? Everyone says yes. Mm-hmm. Puerto Rico is like, oh, you want to come to Puerto? That's a big trip. That's a big commitment. And what is there to do there besides come on the podcast? Right. So this business wouldn't exist because of that. So okay. probably better to make money here, uh, just by having the access. Makes sense. Would you uh, be the guest referee in a Michael Saylor versus Peter Schiff debate? I don't know if I'd be good at that, but yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't. I I would say yes. Who's but, more right? Uh, I don't know. I feel like you're both on such opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, so Michael Saylor, a vegan and a carnivore, basically. <laughs> and I, I think the right is somewhere in between. Uh, Peter Schiff, I feel like, is too conservative on a lot of financial measures. Michael Saylor, I think has a great long-term vision, but I don't know how realistic a lot of that is. I don't know. Between the two, I'm probably leaning more towards Michael Saylor on the spectrum between the two, but I'd say there's probably more truth right in the middle. Yeah. So it's funny because talking about nutrition, it's the same thing almost with yeah. finance, right? We get a Ramsey and uh, what's his name? Rich Dad, Poor Dad or whatever. Robbie Kiyosaki, yeah. yeah. So everything's extreme. It's like right. everything on debt or no debt, right? So you see that in every sphere, whether it's yeah. nutrition, finance, whatever else. Moderate and, and somewhere in the middle, it's just not accepted. It's it not, sell, I know. But it's the most right. I know. You know? Yeah, it's interesting. You almost have to take an extreme. Um, in politics, I think is the same yeah. thing. Like, you have to really, like, alienate yourself against 50% just to, to get the support of the other 50%. Because uh-huh. in the middle, uh, I forget, I think it was Kevin that was actually explaining the, the metrics of politics to me, where in the middle are, like, where the most right is... There is, and, and you know, where the right. most people actually right. are, too. Those are the people less likely to show up at rallies yep. and turn out to vote. At all. Because they don't, they're not convicted enough to, like, to follow through on that. They're kind of in the middle. But on the extremes, you get people who show up to rallies, who support, who donate, who vote, who are really into it. Uh, so you have to take those stances uh, if, if that's something you want to get into. Because I always thought before Kevin... Uh, tried to meet Kevin Rand for governor of California. Be- before he did that, I thought, oh, man, it would be so cool to run for politics because then you could be like the voice of reason, right? just be in the middle because I see stuff on like both Republican and Democratic sides that, sure. that makes sense. And Absolutely. like I and that's why it's so hard for me to ever identify with one or the other because I'm like, they're right, in my opinion, on these things, but they're right on these things, too. And if we could just merge them together. Yeah. Uh, but that's but, not what drives the machine, right? Right. But How are you, you going to sell political ad space? How do you get poor people to donate to rich people so that they can then turn and give it to NBC to sell you ads uh, to make you yeah. show up to vote to keep this? Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing that, that that I realize is that you like have to trigger those those emotional Draw responses. Emotions, right? All the things that make certain demographics upset. I know. And not I think, actually do anything. I think you the run same, on the other person holding that thing away from you. Right? The same thing applies, I think, on YouTube, too. It's like if I did a video title, Stock Market Update Friday. Well, S and P is up two percent. Like no one clicks on that. You 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 have Ask your to. Man over here. Yeah, you have to just. <laughs> what videos do you click on? Yeah, the good ones. The good ones. Yeah, the, good the ones. great videos. Yeah, whatever that means. But we've but we've done a lot. I mean, face. we've done over probably at this point well over twelve hundred videos, wow. and we've and so when people you know will mention a title, they don't like a title. We have like twelve hundred videos of experience where every video I sit there and watch the analytics for an hour. Mm. I know it's like I get it. But when when the the purpose of the video is to reach a large audience who right. will hopefully enjoy the video, and particularly you, a lot of people that may have not seen your content yet. Correct. Uh, you already had you your know, audience captured. Yeah. Be there were notifications. Exactly. So how do you appeal to the type of demographic who would benefit from that message? That demographic wouldn't click on like how to invest in a Roth IRA. They don't know what a Roth IRA mm. is, so they're going to click on how to be a tax free millionaire. Right. So. 
So yeah, what you're you talking about to. is what we do as well, right? Yeah. Like, so in, in musculoskeletal care, like everything has its place. So surgery has its place, cracking. Most people need strengthening and exercises. A lot of people need stretching and soft tissue work. Some people need cracking. Some people need surgery. Some people need injections, right? It's finding the right target with the right individual. But moderation doesn't get clicks, right? So we're going to do loud cracking videos. Yeah. So the goal, of course, even with our clinics, is enough people are interested in this content, you've, you've grabbed their attention in the space, now you get them in the office, and now you can sit there and drill on the boring stuff. So you have to do these exercises daily, spend 10 minutes a day. But if I made that YouTube video, or if I made that Instagram or TikTok, it wouldn't get any views at all. And the same thing happens the opposite. So then you make videos saying, oh, dry, like people will make videos saying, oh, chiropractic sucks, or dry needling sucks, or this is why you don't need this or that. And they're reacting to things that people are emotionally attached to. So then the incentive structure is built there for people to be negative about the same thing yeah. you're being clickbaity about on, right? So it's just this whole ecosystem. And that, again, what's a better system? I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's, this is human psychology. I know. It's also interesting how negativity gets way more attention than the positivity between the two. Yep. So uh, I've even noticed uh, lately, we, we have a, like, a, not really a joke. It's more like an inside thing where it's like down days, like negative days in the market, views are always better. When things are going really well, like you could have negative 3%. The views would be twice as much as if we're positive three percent, and that and that's been consistent over f over five years. Yeah, and um, you know some of that's due to our evolution, right? Like this is the nature of pursuing happiness for all of us. It's a struggle we fight our whole lives. Toddlers do this; they get a thing, and nobody's taught them this. It's in their mm -hmm. DNA. Just like lying is in their DNA, right? Nobody taught them how to lie. They just found it was more advantageous for them to say, "No, I don't have the remote in my hand." Yeah. Right? They haven't learned the consequences of that yet or the, yeah. the consequences of not being intellectually consistent, you know. Yeah. So, you know, w w what you're seeing from people is that sort of behavior that when they get something, it's the new shiny thing, right? They wanted it so bad and now they have it. The thing is they already have this. So this is their next meal. This is their next mate, whatever that is. They don't even think that they could lose this. So they're already on to the next thing. And, and what that is is that's that food mentality, that home mentality you're wired to always get the next thing because if you're ever satisfied, mm. now you're going to die, right? If you're mm. ever like, I ate food, now I'm never going to eat again, yeah. right? It, it's not good for you evolutionarily. You always want the next thing, the next thing, the next yeah. thing, and that's just wired in us. Yeah. And we that, less... do you, but do you think that's healthy or do you think there's there's an element to that that uh, you should just embrace it? I think you could make the argument on all sides. Yeah. I think, um, again, I don't think happiness is a constant process for everybody and I don't think you ever actually find it and that's... That's why we say we're, we have the pursuit of happiness, and it's it may be in the pursuit of degrees or in the pursuit of business growth or the pursuit of X amount of subscribers, but as soon as you hit the number that was going to make you happy, you're already on to the next thing. It'll mm -hmm. never make you happy. And the people, you know, it's like uh, Wall Street. How much is enough? More. Mm -hmm. More. Right? It's Yeah. It, it doesn't matter um, what it is. And the high achievers are the ones that are least satisfied with whatever it is. Yeah. And they're just going to keep separating themselves from the pack, whether they're, you know, uh, that's part of the, the separation of wealth in this country too, right? It's mm. the people that get more are willing to risk more or willing to, to go further because they're extreme people. Um, and sometimes that means bending the rules, but that's, yeah. that's what they see as their pursuit of happiness. Some people, their frequency is at a different level to where they're just in survival mode and they can never get out of that. You know, I disagree with the notion that happiness is never reached because that assumes that like happiness is objective based, right? It's, where it not necessarily temporary, temporary happiness. I think it's just achieving I mean, new milestones. I think it's just pushing yourself, growing, you, right? Probably yeah, growing. Like it's, it's, it's yeah, different yeah, yeah. for each person. Yeah. But I, I like to think that someone can live their life being happy throughout. It's a mental state, right? It's a state of being, not necessarily like do this, be happy, do this, be happy. 
So I, I, we don't disagree because I agree with you 100%. Um, and you could find happiness and because, like you said, it is a mental state. If, you, if, if instead of focusing on the things you don't have, you were like, man, I live in a country where I have running water and I have a piece of plastic that can get me food anytime I want to, and I'm not in danger of somebody running in from another tribe and raising my entire family and taking them away, having that perspective sure makes you a lot more grateful to be here in a time where you don't scratch your arm on, the, on a tree and die from mm -hmm. a bacterial infection mm -hmm. because we have antibiotics. But it's against our programming and our wiring to think of all the things we have. We always want to think of the things that we don't have, which goes back to the the negativity thing that we're talking about. Fair. Yeah, I guess if we could conditioned. I don't really know about what yeah. we're wired for. But. So it takes a higher frequency, a higher vibe for an individual to be grateful. Mm. It's very difficult to do. And that, I think what you're pointing out is happiness. Isn't that gratitude? Like that's sort of what yeah, happiness yeah, is. It's like, it. yeah, wow, sure. my mom's still alive, so she can call me, right? But mm -hmm. because you already have her every day, you don't walk around every day thinking I might not have her. And our brains probably would shut down if we sat around and thought about everything that we could lose. I mean, that's right. where people have serious anxiety or, or, or things yeah. like that. So instead, we're always like, how can I make more money? How can I get a nicer car? How can I get a better job? How can I get a better girlfriend? And then as we age, then it's like, how do I hold yeah. on to the things I had? How do it's I keep my hair? It's generally something that needs to be worked towards to change your sentiment towards that. 100%. And there's no reason you couldn't find happiness in literally anything or everything. Mm -hmm. And in fact, some would argue that the, the high end of the IQ thing almost predisposes you to not be happy. The, the lower it is, the more you're like, wow, chocolate bar, <laughs> butterfly. Yeah. Yeah. You're not focused on the future of the past. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. We'll link to your information down below in the description, along with the, uh, hopefully... Hopefully soon the, the back cracking video whenever you post mm -hmm. it. We'll link that down uh, as well. Yeah. But did you get a free stock down below in the description when you sign up for public using the code Graham? Also feel free to check out my Instagram and my YouTube page. Uh, hey, Jack, you don't want to follow Jack. You don't want to so follow Jack. Don't I mean, about that. He Thanks never posts watching, on Instagram guys, anyway. Until next time. Until next time.